This episode of the APZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Delta 7 Creative. Delta 7 is a proud, independent, Don-supporting creative studio based in Aberdeen, drawing its inspiration from pop culture and the rich sporting heritage of the Granite City to create a range of unique and high-quality apparel and artwork. The guys at Delta 7 are committed to using the best local supply chain, so every piece of their work is designed and printed right here in Aberdeen. Check out their range of Don's related products at delta7design.bigcartel.com Great slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode seven of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, together with my regular co-host, Graeme Steele. Graeme, how's it going? Good, thank you. And as the transfer window rapidly begins to creak shut, we've also taken the opportunity to freshen up our squad this week with the temporary acquisition of Martin Stone to take the place of Gavin Baxter. Martin, thanks for taking the time to join us. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, boy, who, boy who dream uh, appear on the podcast, so... Uh, great to be realising that ambition. <laughs> Absolutely, that's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> so, obviously, before we get started in earnest, um, I'd, first of all, I'd absolutely encourage any Aberdeen fan who's not had a chance to do so yet to go and check out the interview that Martin recently did with Dave Cormack and Rob Wicks. You've obviously been taken into the inner sanctum now, Martin. So, if you if you've gone all corporate honest, we'll understand. Um, but that's obviously still available in, in written format and on YouTube. It's a great read. It's a great watch. You must be dead chuffed with how it panned out and the reaction that it's received. Ah, uh, yeah. Thanks for saying that. No, it, it couldn't have gone better, really. Um, as I said on the on the interview, um, Dave Cormack kind of got in contact a while back out of the blue and uh, offered me the chance to speak to him and Rob. So, um, yeah, I'd kind of been worried it was it was going to be uh, almost that kind of you know sanctioned bland type interview but the guys couldn't have been uh, couldn't have been any more kind of open and, and transparent really you know the the stuff that we wanted to talk about was was uh, was great you know it was they never knocked back any of the questions really um kind of responded to, to everything that, that I asked them so yeah couldn't have asked for more so uh yeah I'd, uh, I'd recommend uh, any Don's fans to go on, on and uh, have a look at that because there's some some great insights from from the guys there and, and just to remind our listeners Martin where can they where can they read that or, or view that yeah, so uh, the blog is uh, unmodernman.net. Um, so if you go on there, you'll get that interview. You get loads of other stuff on there as well, and there's a, the link to the the YouTube um, video of the interview as well on the on the article. Nah, great stuff. Like I say, I'd absolutely encourage anybody to go and have a look at it. Martin, you're right. I think uh, the candidness with which the two of them actually answered questions was great. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But I'm just pleased to see that everybody else's deep-held scepticism about the SPFL's commercial operation um, is, is, is held at Pataudry as well, so it's all good. But yeah, another pretty hectic episode in front of us. Um, Martin, <clears throat> Graham and I, we're going to take some time to look back over what was a, a fairly disappointing week for the Dons, uh, having exited the Europa Conference League with a bit of a whimper, it's probably fair to say, and, and failing to convert possession and territory into a, into a win against Ross County. We're also going to be joined as well by Fuad Alakbarov, who was with the Karabog squad last week in Aberdeen, acting as their uh, official interpreter. So Fuad's going to give us a bit of an inside track into 
how Carabag approached last week and what they made of their visit to Aberdeen. And with no fixtures ahead of us this weekend for the men's team, it seems like a good time for Martin Graham and myself to take some time to pause and reflect on the opening phase of the 21-22 season for the Dons, provide some thoughts about where we think we are under the tutelage of Stephen Glass, and we'll give our initial thoughts on the players who've joined the club in the last couple of months. And I guess we'll try to provide our revised aspirations for what the season ahead should look like. So starting off, Aberdeen won. Carabag 3, 26th of August 2021 at Pataudry Stadium, leading to an aggregate result of Aberdeen 1, Carabag 4. Kind of hard to decide where to begin with this one, I guess, guys. Uh, obviously, the Dons made one change from the side that picked up an impressive draw at Tynecastle the weekend before. Uh, Connor McLennan, who was injured, dropping out completely. Jack McKenzie regaining his spot in the starting lineup at left back, and that meant Johnny Hayes moved up one slot into the midfield. Teddy Jenks retained his starting uh, spot ahead of Jet, which I think was uh, probably the only dilemma the manager really had, both of them having impressed that time, Castle. And in front of a kind of raucous crowd, I thought we made a, a fairly fast start. Ramsey and Ojo <clears throat> combining well down the right, um, causing some anxious-looking defending from the Aziris. A couple of minutes later, Ramsey fires a cross ball again, met by Ramirez, but his knockback header is kind of cleared by Medvedev. And, and things at that point were kind of looking okay, not looking too bad. And, and then it all went wrong. Um a beautifully switched diagonal finds Zubar in loads of room on the left flank. His cutback's met by Beramov, who, who arrows a fine strike in the opposite corner of the net to make it 1-0. Only eight minutes on the clock, but still at that point, all's not lost. The Dons still need two goals, as they did at the start of the game. But on 23 minutes, though, the tie is, is dead and buried. McCrory giving the ball away poorly, and the visitors work the ball eventually through to Zubar, and he knocks it through to Caddy, who slotted it past a, a despairing Joe Lewis at that point. And it's all over at that point. Carabag make it three in the 72nd minute through Zubar. The Dons getting a consolation penalty uh, deep into injury time, slotted away by, by Lewis Ferguson. But now that we've had a little bit of time to reflect on it, guys, I guess, what are your thoughts on, on how last week pointed, uh, panned out? Well, disappointed. Uh, I think it was probably sums up uh, how I'm feeling and most people feel. I don't really think we, I was going to say, I don't think we gave a good account of ourselves, but actually when I look back, I think Carabag were just a better team than we were. I don't think, uh, you know, it wasn't through lack of application or effort or anything like that. It just felt like, I know we, we mentioned after the first leg, you know, what's the pitch going to do in terms of its better at Pataudry? But uh, I think that just... But that played into their hands more than it played into ours. And pretty much every chance they created, they took it. Whereas we just seemed to be a bit a bit slow, a bit ponderous. And generally speaking, uh, we seem to make defensive mistakes. And every time we do, we get punished. So I was a little bit disappointed to go out. I wasn't so sure we maybe would get through. But 4-1's not really particularly flattering for Aberdeen. No, I would echo a lot of that, to be honest. I think they probably did did a bit of a number on us, um, to be honest. I think, you know, they got the pitch switched in, in the first leg. Um, maybe, you know, lulled us into a wee bit of false sense of security. You know, maybe got us, the fans and the, the, the management, thinking that we had a, you know, a really good chance here. Go out, attack this team and, and we can get something from him. But, you know, it was evident from early on in that second leg that they were, they were a level above us. I think that's... That's a phrase that I've, I've used a couple of times since then. Um, to me, I'm not sure we'll face a better team this season than than they looked in that second leg. You know, even you know Rangers and Celtic don't tend to move the ball as well as that. You know, one touch passing movement. It was they were a really slick operation. In hindsight, should we have maybe been a wee bit tighter? 
uh, at the start of the game, you know, it looked a wee bit open, um, a wee bit gung-ho, which you could probably say for for a lot of the games this season, we've looked open. But, you know, maybe in hindsight, Glass looks at it and thinks, ah, we should have, you know, we should have maybe played it tight for the first 15, 20 minutes, got settled into the game a bit more and, um, you know, kind of built from there. But it was it was game over within, you know, within 20, 25 minutes. And, um it was about a football and football and lesson from from that point on. We just we couldn't get near them really. But yeah, you looked at the starting lineup beforehand and you thought, you know, it's probably as good a team as as Aberdeen can put out. The bench wasn't um, very strong. You know, this was before all the signings had been made. Um, so personnel wise, I think it was it was bang on. But yeah, maybe just the, the approach was was a wee bit too open. And as I say, we were maybe sucked in a wee bit to, to thinking that they weren't as good as the as they actually turned out to be. Without us wanting to come across all football Nostradamus and stuff, I mean, I think we pointed out in last week's episode, Graham, that as bad as the pitch was in Baku, it was pretty clear that Carabag were a decent outfit on a technical level. And I think we were worried that actually they might enjoy the, the pitch at Pataudry more than we did. And I think that became evident pretty quickly during the game on, on Thursday night. And Martin, you're right. I, I wonder if <clears throat> the manager was caught a little bit between two stools about the best way to approach the game. Because I think realistically and again looking back in hindsight and, and hindsight's always 2020 and all that good stuff it maybe would have made a lot more sense for us to sit in for the opening 25 30 minutes not certainly not try and concede if, if if at all possible get a bit of a foothold in the game and try and grow into the game from that point we, we, we did only need one goal at that point to try and force it into even extra time if, if, if needs be but i wonder if the manager was caught a little bit with the notion that you're going to get the crowd come in the crowd's going to be up for it from the first minute you kind of want to feed off that to an extent. And we all know what the pathology crowd can be like as well, notwithstanding the red shed. If that gets to 30, 35, 40 minutes in, still nil-nil, does the atmosphere maybe start to die away a little bit? Is it, is it maybe going to be there And if there's not been any real signs that we're going forward? And I wonder just if the manager got caught a little bit between two minds about what to do, because that's how it looked to me. It looked like we just weren't sure what we were doing. I mean, we don't look like a, a team capable this season of necessarily sitting in and, and you know playing playing a game tight it, it looks as though we you know every game we're approaching it we want to be on the front foot I guess and and taking the, the game to the opposition uh, you know we're, we're not keeping clean sheets at the moment we're not you know really looking that solid defensively so maybe maybe that's why he approached it the way he did you know maybe not having that much confidence in the in the defense at the moment and thinking that the best form of defense was attack um in a way but yeah, it, uh, in the end up, it, it, we, we just left ourselves far too exposed. And, you know, like Zubar that you mentioned there, he was just, he was on a different level to, to anything that we've got, you know, the, the ability to find space and, um, you know, range of passing and, and things like that was just, yeah, it was, was, was a level above. I, I didn't actually realise he's the guy that Hibs had um, a, a good few years back now. He, he, he certainly didn't look the same player. <laughs> Don't know what's happened to him since he since he left Hibs. But yeah, it, you know, guys like him were just too too good for us, really. On the night, we, the midfield just couldn't couldn't get close to them. I can only suggest that Zubar um, just demonstrates the management capabilities of Pat Fenlon and Terry Butcher. <laughs> but yeah, I think. Um, I mean, for my taste, Graham, I don't know if you'll agree, Martin, you might as well. I, I thought Carabag were probably as good a European side as we've seen in our recent exploits um, at Pataudry, up there with Real Sociedad, I would have said. Yeah, I think the last couple of years when we've gone out, certainly the, you know, me, you, dissolving ifs, buts and maybes, and we missed that, that chance and we could have done this. There wasn't really anything like that out of this tie. Over the two legs, I don't think we ever got close enough to progressing and that, 
I don't think it's actually necessarily down to us. They were just much better. So I probably would agree that's probably one of the few times where I would genuinely say that that team's much better. And it's not a case if we had one chance, we missed it. We just didn't really get close to them at all. Um, so, you know, it's nice to come and see a good team play at Pataudry. Uh, I just prefer it when they're playing in red. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think I said before we came on there that I couldn't be too analytical about this game because I'd had a few beers on, on Thursday. But, I, you know, I'm not sure even the management can be too analytical about it. It's it's one of them where you almost need to hold your hands up and say, we were just beaten by the, the better side, you know. Um, I don't know if there's any point in looking at individual errors or or things like that, you know. I, I think I, I underestimated how good how good it would be. You know, I, I was I kind of been saying in the build up to the game that this was our best chance to get into the group stages for, well, since since we did it under Calderwood. But I think in hindsight they were they were a much better team than that. Yeah, probably up there with kind of Sociedad, um, and we'd all been you know fed the lines about them losing some of their best players and probably not being the, the team that, that they have been previously. But for me, they looked you know a, a Europa League side minimum. If, if not if not better than that. So, yeah, uh, you know, when we got the draw, we, we thought oh, we've got a chance here, but I think uh, <laughs> in hindsight, it, it, it probably wasn't the, the kindest draw. But I don't know if you get an easier an easier t- you know, tie than that at this stage to get into those group stages. Maybe that's where we need to be to be getting in there. I think certainly there are easier ties out there. I mean, I look at, you know, Lincoln Red Imps made the group stages getting through the playoffs against Riga, you know, FC. I'm presuming what's happened there is that one of them have come through, have dropped out from Europa League or Champions League or something through the Champions route. So they've they've found their way to to each other. Um, Because I remember looking at that tie when it came out thinking, how the fuck do we not get one of those boys? Like, is it one of these as well that we're going to touch on, you know, where we think we all are with, with, with glass and everything later on in the show. But is there maybe an element that getting the playoffs this year maybe came a wee bit too early? I don't know. It feels like we're always, there's also excuses to why we don't get any further. Then we do. I suppose you've got a new manager. You've got a, not an unsettled squad, a, a squad that's still getting to know each other, and maybe a manager that's trying to figure out how to approach certain games. So I think there are different circumstances this time. But what I would say is, if the opposition, you know, if Carabag is the level of the opposition, that's just a tough nut to crack. Regardless, if we get them this time next year, there's still quite a gap, in my opinion. And if that is the gap between us and getting to the the league stage. I'm not too sure how we how we address that. Yeah, no, even even if you're speaking hypotheticals and you know you're you're saying okay, we could have got Longstaff, Samuels, uh, Watkins, and, and Bates in you know a couple of weeks ago and got embedded in for for this game. Would that have given us the the platform to get through? Possibly, possibly. Um, but I think it's just the reality of where we're at. You know the, the kind of market that we operate in. My Longstaff maybe you know sees us a decent option a couple of days before the transfer window closes, but. You just, you know, you don't get a player like him signing up for you in, in June. That's just, you know, the market that, that we're operating in. I've seen a lot of folk on on Twitter and stuff saying, why did we make these transfers earlier? They, they, you know, they just don't happen. You know, players players keep their options open and try and eke out the best deal that they can um, right up until the last minute. So, no, I don't, I don't you know, going forward, seasons to come, we're, we're going to be in the same boat. We're going to be doing our, our business or the best business late, probably. So if we want to be getting into these group stages, we need to be doing it with the, the kind of core of players that, that we've got at the time. But I know, take the point about, you know, other teams getting easier ties as well. Maybe maybe there is a route for us to get in there. But aye, it's, it, was, it was a sore one. I think everybody, you know, was seeing that kind of, however much it was, three, four million quid getting flashed up and 
thinking of the what we could do with that and the, the strengthening of the squad we could we could have done. St Johnson were in the, in the same boat as well, I suppose. But uh, it's a, a tough one to take for that to be whipped away on top of the, the kind of ref um, cup exit as well. You know, we put all our eggs in in the kind of Europa or uh, Conference League basket and then um, we're out of that and we're, we're out of the League Cup before before August's done. So it's a, it's a sure one to take. On a, on a positive note, and I'm going to desperately try to spin a positive out of last <laughs> Thursday, um, do you think that maybe we might learn an awful lot out of that tie and about the way that Carabag went about their business? Well, yes, that there are levels to get to. I'm not too sure what we will learn from that, as in how can we get there? I mean, maybe maybe he can look at how they've set up or the way they approach the game. Maybe he would have done things differently, but I'm not too sure what we can take from that that actually helps us progress. I mean, despite saying I won't be too analytical about it, I suppose <laughs> the one thing you could say is that did, did we do the, you know, the kind of high press that we've been told that we're trying to implement, did that really work on the night? Has it has it worked for the past couple of games? Again, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be positive here and if <laughs> you're overly negative because um, I've been told off for that before. But um no, I think the, the high press isn't it to me hasn't really been that apparent in the past few games. Um whether that's because we've still got new players bedding in or you know some of the players are maybe not you know taking to that approach or, or whatever it is. If we'd gone into that Carabag game with that approach, it might have been different. Hopefully, you know, it shows the management and the players that to, to get through those types of ties, we, we probably do need to, to be doing that now. You know, that seems to be the way of things in, in European football now is to be able to, one, apply the high press and, and two, be able to, you know, combat teams that are that are doing it against you. So be able to move the ball quickly and, and play around the, the opposition high press. So hopefully if... if if glass uh, takes anything from from the tie, it's it's that it's to, to apply that kind of approach a bit more consistently than we've seen so far this season. I wonder as well if it maybe opens some eyes a little bit around recruitment. You know, we've we've got Darren Mowbray's coming head of recruitment now, not long in the door, so he needs some time to come in and, and bed in. I think we're all hoping that this will be a a change in our kind of recruitment strategy, etc., from what we've seen for the last, I don't know, feels like the last 30 years in terms of looking at the English lower leagues or the Scottish leagues predominantly. You know, I mean, you look at Carabag and you look at some of the players that I think impressed everybody on on Thursday night, look at the boy Caddy. Um, you know, these guys were signed from like the Portuguese second division, French second division. They're not coming from the top, top leagues in Europe. They're, they're in the leagues I would think we should be scouting around. And I wonder if there may be a bit of a view now that we actually need to start, you know, really seriously think about expanding our horizons because to succeed at that level of European football, I think you have to have players who are much more capable and much more comfortable with the ball at their feet and finding pockets of space and exploiting those pockets of space the way that Carabag did on Thursday night. I think that's a fair point. We've relatively limited resources. So if we are basically shopping in the same store as everyone else, that kind of drives the price up when you're you know, obviously competing with bigger clubs. If we were maybe a bit smarter and we were looking further afield, you're right, maybe maybe you're the only sizable club in for a play like that and that makes it an attractive offer for them. And there's also, you know, you look back over that kind of time period you mentioned with the odd notable exception in general, what have we sort of achieved over that period? So you could maybe make a case for saying what we have been doing isn't working, therefore why wouldn't you go and do something different? Hundred uh, percent for me. It's something we, we should be looking at. It was one of my biggest bugbears under the under the last uh, management team was 
how kind of narrow we, we seem to be on the on the transfer market. You know, it was all players that we, we kind of knew or had been kicking around uh, the, the lower leagues in England. As a big bad, you know, wide world of sport out there that we can be we can be dipping into. It was something that um, came up in in the, the interview with Dave Cormack that you were you were talking about at the start there. Um, you know, he used the example of uh, North Shelland in uh, in Denmark. I've got a, a partnership with a, a Ghanaian, a Ghanaian um, kind of talent academy. They've been getting players through from that for, for a while now. I think they just sold um, one of the, the kind of graduates of that for 20 million euros in the, in the past um, few weeks. So I, I think that's the type of thing you know, that the club are looking at, certainly, not to get political, but I think Brexit makes it a wee bit more difficult getting you know work permits and, and things like that. If you're talking about complete unknowns coming through, but... Certainly, something I got the impression from from talking to, to to Dave Cormack about was that they were actively, you know, exploring new and different markets for you know that different type of player, um, who you know ultimately a lot of them are coming through on on cheaper cheaper wages and cheaper cheaper terms than, than the players that we've been kind of restricting ourselves to uh, over the over the past uh, season. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully something comes of that. I, we haven't heard much from uh, Darren Mowbray so far. Um, so be I don't know if uh, the club are planning to do something on that side of things, get him in front of the camera and give us a, a kind of overview of what his, his remit is. But I think that would be good, you know, to, to hear what his plans are and, and, and what we're doing on, on that front. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess we'll have the ear of uh, Dave Cormack and these guys now with having you on board, Martin. So that's right. Get it done. Get Darren Mowbray in front of the camera and let's hear what he's, what he's up to. Oh, I, absolutely. He's on, on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think let, let's be honest. We've probably done that to death for next for last Thursday. It's not really a tie that I think much of us want to talk any further about. So, or certainly are this this three of us anyway. But um, you know, on this podcast, we don't muck about when it comes to guests, as you can see with Martin Stone joining us, and, and we don't generally care who a guest might have as a bit of a soft spot for here and there if they can bring you some insight and some accurate information on topics and teams that you might not get anywhere else. And Regular listeners will know that we were joined by Fuad Alakbarov uh, a couple of weeks ago to get the lowdown on Karabag. And Fuad was part of the Karabag setup last week in Aberdeen, acting as their translator. So Graham and I caught up with Fuad earlier on to understand how the Karabag camp approached the tie and, and what their thoughts were and how the, the, the game panned out. Okay, so welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast, Fuad Alakbarov. How are you doing, Fuad? I'm all good, thank you. Good. So obviously, uh, regular listeners will uh, remember you joined us a fortnight ago. It feels like it was about three years ago already, but um, you joined us to give us a bit of a down uh, the down low on, on Carabag. And we thought it'd be worthwhile maybe having a chat with you again um, in the kind of aftermath of last week's uh, Europa Conference League tie at Pataudry, especially pertinent for us because you actually managed to find your way into the, the Carabag camp for the uh, for the trip to the Tawdry. Yeah, uh, it was first of all pleasure to be in Aberdeen. Uh, I love the city. I love the people. I felt Aberdeen fans were very positive, welcoming. I mean, uh, as an uh, away fan, there was a lot of uh, away fans from Azerbaijan, mostly of them who live in Scotland, but they still enjoyed the atmosphere created by fans, um, and it was a good, passionate uh, uh, like fans. Um, but as for the atmosphere, I felt atmosphere was tense for the both clubs, but it was uplifting from Aberdeen. Aberdeen was feeling that this could be the night we could have get good result. And Karabakh arrived uh, to the airport. There was a few Azerbaijani fans greeted them, and but they came here like to win, 
they came uh, very well prepared and with a plan. I think the result of 1-0 in Baku was quite good for the manager, despite the media saying, um, you know, they are looking for like a draw or stuff like that. Um, so Karabakh was trying to play like counter game to see how Aberdeen going to start. And I was expecting from Aberdeen a very few start, which it did in a certain way. But uh, when the game started, it was kind of um, Aberdeen. At first goal kind of wasn't in plans of Aberdeen, but I felt Aberdeen could bounce back. But unfortunately, uh, the second goal kind of shattered. You know, somebody even said on my Twitter, uh, they shot Karabakh shattered the glass, which I think is a bit brutal. Um, but uh, I felt Aberdeen had no gameplay. Uh, I felt Aberdeen were making same mistakes in Baku. They're all uh, like all they done, uh, just like a long balls to the players, which Karabakh players easily read. And Karabakh, on on uh, to my surprise, I was expecting close game. They used their chances very well. Um, Karabakh was cold blooded, you know. And of course, in a way, uh, Karabakh got higher, um, you know, pedigree because they play in the Europa League quite commonly, and, and that's why. Um, while Aberdeen started at a furious pace, they lack composure. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. I think we touched on that, um, Graham, myself, and Martin Stone just a couple of minutes ago when we were looking at the analysis as well. I, I guess if we had this, I guess we should probably explain for people that that maybe didn't understand. You were actually part of the Carabag um, group, I guess, so to speak, here in Aberdeen. You were acting as uh, one of their interpreters during their trip here. When you got to meet up with the the Carabag squad when they arrived here in Aberdeen what was the general kind of perception you felt about how they were approaching the game did they seem you know anxious about it or or did they seem pretty confident that they could come here and, and complete the job um first of all thank you uh let me put like that I I have interpreted a lot of games for Azerbaijan's side and I've been regular translating translated for Karabakh and Karabakh uh, arrived to um Aberdeen in advance to get a better kind of preparation uh, and uh, a lot of people in Scotland thought uh, uh, Karabakh was, uh, you know, got the maximum result because of the poor pitch. But as I've previously mentioned, Karabakh is a side that loves to play with passes. And they managed to use that uh, pitch very well. And um, so Karabakh did take uh, seriously. Karabakh managed to take everything very seriously. The manager was very compa- uh, composed. Um, but I think that mainly Karabakh was looking to see um, pressure from Aberdeen and we will counterattack. That was a plan. Um, however, when game started, I think um, Aberdeen, uh, some of the young players wasn't ready for the pressure um, because it was a, like a, a tough game. And it's a shame for Aberdeen fans and like a guaranteed three million pounds for reaching the group is gone. It will sting and it will add more pressure given the nature of the League Cup exit. Having said that, I saw plenty of positive stuff as well. Uh, Calvin Ramsey was very, very good. Uh, Jack McKenzie was very impressive. Um, yes, they were given tough time. Pak Karabakh's uh, skillful Romero and Zubir, um, who were like having a game of their uh, like uh, lives. And but I hope they learned uh, plenty from the occasion. Uh, I strongly believe Aberdeen is on the right path. But uh, definitely certain changes needed, like defense needs to be boosted. Uh, we have seen so many times Aberdeen conceded uh, a lot of goals in, in Conference League. I know it's a uh, Conference League and competition is much tougher, 
but uh, your club needs to improve its defense. Uh, club needs to improve its, um, you know, clinical. The club needs to improve its firepower. That I mean, I like Steven Glass's sincere attitude, and I know a lot of fans, um, you know, might be not happy with the result. But let's not forget, like Karabakh also had similar um, history, like Aberdeen. Their manager been there since 2008. It took a fifth attempt from Karabakh to reach Europa League, so it didn't happen in a day. So I believe uh, uh, Aberdeen also should should need to keep the squad, but it needs to be tweaked. It needs a good playmaker. It needs a good defender. And although like Johnny Hayes and again had been decent servants for the club, but I believe they need uh, also assistance. Like they don't possess the weapons they did a few years ago. Um, but of course, the experience will come as long as again there's like a huge desire to play. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think a lot of uh, we, we certainly touched on it, I think, after the first leg that there was a lot of talk back here in Aberdeen about the state of the pitch in, in Baku and how that, you know, obviously maybe affected the way that Aberdeen played. But I think we touched on it in, in last week's episode, Graham, as well, that we kind of felt that actually coming back to a better pitch at Pataudry might actually benefit Karabag potentially even more than it would benefit us. And that's kind of how it, how it panned out. Yeah, I had really appreciated after the first leg the pitch kind of leveled the playing field, if you pardon the terminology, but it actually made us look a little bit closer to Carabag than maybe we were. I didn't really expect them to arrive at Batodre and play play as well as they did. So they're clearly a better team than that. That particular pitch allows them uh, to demonstrate. And I think probably a few people got caught out by that as well. Um, I think also don't really think, and Fu had touched on it, we didn't really have don't really think we had the intensity at the start that we were hoping for. Uh, I mean, the sort of passing the ball around and retaining it in the defence is fine, but it just allows them a better team to get set and then they're in the right positions. I think if we'd maybe tried to be a bit more, uh, well, sort of kick and run, that might have brought of, uh, you know, brought something, something else to the table. So, yeah, it's a bit disappointing, but I think they were obviously a bit better. They were a better team than I than I thought they were. Yeah, I think... So I guess we had, I guess the atmosphere in the Carabag uh, dressing room and everything after the game would have been a particularly buoyant one. They came here, they, they did a number on, on Aberdeen, a 4-1 aggregate victory is certainly a really healthy one and they find themselves in the Conference League now. And based on what I saw from Carabag, I, I would suggest that they're probably one of the better European teams we've seen at Pataudry in the last few seasons. I think Real Sociedad were probably as good as, I think they, they're probably the team I would put them up there with, uh, that I'd put Carabag up there with. What do you think Carabag's aspirations are going to be now in the Europa Conference League? Do you think they'll have a belief now that with their European pedigree that they can progress out of the group stages? From from looking at their group draw, I think it's a relatively favourable draw. I don't think they'll fear too many of the teams in there. First of all, like I think we will all agree Aberdeen were beaten by the better team. It was an experienced team. Um, and, and even Aberdeen legend William Miller said and Carabags were streets, absolute streets ahead of Aberdeen. But again, Karabakh is an experienced team. I think Aberdeen is on the stage of transformation. Um, and as for the Karabakh, yes, the result definitely will, will boost club financially. Um, but I think Karabakh also had issues. They've been, Despite they've been playing in Europa League and Champions League, they never managed to kind of get out of from the group, except for a time when they beat Inter Milan, but after referee's howling decision, actually one of the Italian newspapers said it was a, a robbery of the year 
uh, they couldn't reach the uh, next stage of the Europa League. Um, but I think this year they will they will be looking to make to the next stage. They go ba- Basel from Switzerland and Cypriot team. I think is Omonia. Um, so they will be definitely boosting their squad. Plus, um, some of the like Italian Serie side and other sides like managed to kind of keeping close eye on Karabakh squad because you know, you know this is a like a big stage. So when you play well, a lot of good clubs want to get your players, and I think this also affects Aberdeen. You need to. Although when it's a good offer, you cannot reject the offer, but you still need to keep, uh, we say in Russian, Kastiak, I mean the structure, the skeleton of the club, because by selling all players, you cannot expect to start from a scratch all the time. Um, so in a way, I believe um, I'm building again in the right path. As for Karabakh, it's going to be difficult, but I think uh, this is a year they will make the breakthrough because I building game kind of gave them a boost. It was a very game. It was also first win against a side from the UK because Karabakh always struggled against athletic teams. I mean, uh, when it comes to Germany, when it comes to uh, UK, the Karabakh lacked composure. But as for Aberdeen, I think it can definitely show a better game. It can punch above its weight. Um, but again, more, um, you know, the change is needed. You talk about players and retaining players. There, obviously, within the Karabakh squad, there were players who impressed over the two legs. Um, certainly at Pataudry, uh, Zubir in particular kind of ran the show, which I think was a surprise for a lot of Aberdeen fans who might remember he had a fleeting period of time at Hibs um, under Pat Fenlon and Terry Butcher the, the last season that Hibs got relegated and, and, and did very little in the league. But he he ran the show, I think it's fair to say, at Pataudry on, on Thursday night. But the one who, who I've got a question about actually is probably the manager. Um, obviously, he's been with um, Karabag now for, well, coming up to 13 years, I think it is. I think it would be fair to say a lot of Aberdeen fans, you know, myself included, I was I was very impressed with the way that Gurbanov went about his business, the way that uh, he set his team up, the way that they played. Has there been any kind of interest or talk about, you know, anyone looking at Gurbanov as a, as a potential manager outside of Azerbaijan? I would say um, there was a lot of interest from Turkish sides towards Gurbanov. I'm sure he has um, a lot of interest, but he's a very private person. And I've met him many times uh, when he was a player and he's top goal scorer of Azerbaijan national team. He was ambitious, always forward going. I think he had that mentality uh, even during his managerial tenure. And um, But I believe he wants to move, but maybe a better league, especially when Turkish league is not doing that well. Um, but I cannot tell his future plans. He never hinted to the Azerbaijani media. Uh, he always hinted that he wanted to be Azerbaijan uh, national team's manager, and he had a short uh, stint, but I believe um, Azerbaijan FA made a big mistake by um, you know, by ending his contract because Azerbaijan could have played under him so much better. This is like Karabakh have a lot of local players, and uh, they play well for Karabakh, but they struggle for Azerbaijan. But having said that, I believe we will see more Azerbaijani players. And one of the Karabakh's best players, like Maher Emreli, he scored a few days ago uh, for Lega Warsaw, which actually made uh, they, re- they reached the Europa League uh, since the last Champions League campaign, so a few years ago. So again, the club moving to the right direction. Uh, as from Aberdeen perspective, I think a lot of Scottish sides kind of lack when it comes to like uh, compared to let's say to certain leagues like Poland, like Russia, whether they sign players from exotic leagues, as some might say, because you will see uh, in Russia you have Kurban Berdiev, another like 
good manager who used to be manager of Rubin Kazan and actually done very well in Champions League. Um, so I think um, Aberdeen also needs to look at different leagues because nowadays football is everywhere and football is developing at fast rate. We saw the result from a, a Gibraltar inside, you know, the Lincoln Imps, I think it's called. Um, they managed to reach conference. Like it shows um, it's long, uh, the food inequality in football may be on financial side, but when it comes to development, every country is now trying to develop fast, especially when technology is available. There's lots of information from media. There's not much of, you don't hear much of the news like spying on the uh, clubs because nowadays you can get any uh, information through the internet. So uh, I think Aberdeen needs to look at the different leagues. Like uh, it's not always have to be Azerbaijan. We saw a few good players from Georgia and Scotland. Uh, we saw Kiznashvili uh, play for Rangers. There was uh, Arvelata, of course, you cannot forget him. Um, so I think they benefited. And uh, again, Aberdeen and Scottish clubs could use that. Yeah, I don't think you'd find too many Aberdeen fans who would disagree um, with that. I think we've also just uh, put a new head of recruitment into into a job and I think there's a lot of people who are now hoping that our, our our scouting network is going to expand beyond just looking at you know the uh the English lower leagues which is kind of where we've been focused for the last what feels like the last 10 years or so um, and probably longer than that it's very rare that we pick up a player from a perceived you know smaller league or a, or a developing nation or anything of that sort so but you're right. I think there's there's plenty of examples of, of of good players who've come from some of these leagues and who've who've done well in the Scottish league in the past. And it would be good to see Aberdeen starting to 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 spread our horizons a little bit further as far as that goes. But I guess um, all in all, I I don't think either of us, Graham, could have a complaint about how the how the tie landed last week. No. Uh, after the first match, I was speaking about the pitch, and we were talking about perceived weak refereeing. Um, but none of that. Matter a jot at the end of the day. Carabag were a better team over the two legs. The scoreline, I don't really think, flatters them. Highlights the fact that they were superior to us. And don't really think we ever... We never really had them on the ropes. You know, I don't really recall a period over the two legs where I felt we were building up ahead of steam and we might get something back here. They pretty much kept us at arm's length. And as Fuad's mentioned on more than one occasion, every time they got a chance, they took it pretty much. And... You're going to win more matches than you lose if you're if you're taking all your chances. Yeah, no, absolutely, definitely. Fuad, like, thank you again just for taking the time just to come and talk to us again um, after last week's results. We've really appreciated. We really appreciate your insight. You've been able to give us into Azerbaijani football and into the Karabag squad as well. So, um, like I say, we'd just like to thank you again for taking your time. And hopefully, maybe the Dons can um, make our way back into one of the European competitions next year, and maybe next year we'll get to put one over some Azerbaijani opposition. Uh, thank you so much. It was, again, a pleasure uh, to be here. Um, I also would like to wish uh, a lot of luck to Aberdeen. I know how much it means for the club, but as I say, um, nothing is impossible until it's done. So Aberdeen needs to keep going and going until they reach the success. Great stuff. Thank you, Fuad. So, all in all, a bitterly, bitterly disappointing way for our European adventure to end for another season. With our exit from the League Cup a couple of weeks ago, all focus until January now has to be on the league. And we welcomed mad racist Malky Mackay's Ross County Pataudry on Sunday as we attempted to maintain our unbeaten record before heading into the international break. So let's take a look at the weekend's performance. Three changes for the Dons. Uh, new signings, Matty Longstaff and Austin Samuels in the starting lineup alongside Dean Campbell, who also made his first start of the season. Teddy Jenks, Johnny Hayes and Jack McKenzie all dropping out. And Marley Watkins also joining the club just before the Carabag 
tie making the bench. So, guys, what what did we think about the the game yesterday? Well, from one positive result onto another positive result, it's quite a, <laughs> an upbeat podcast, isn't it? Uh, it's disappointing. Uh, dropping points to Ross County at home is poor, full stop, in my opinion. So overall, not a good day. Uh, I did quite look uh, like Lucas, some of the new guys, but Samuels looked, gives us a different dimension, someone who actually looked like he's got pace, uh, which I think we have lacked. My only concern there is I don't really want us to revert to maybe the dark old days of there's a guy who's fast, Let's just punt it into the channel and see what you can do. There were a couple of good passes to him, um, sort of in behind the defender they could run onto. And then I felt there was a little bit of, I don't know if we were panicking, but it's just, well, we'll just shell it up to him and see what he can do. But if we can actually use him properly, it'll look quite encouraging. Longstaff, you know, he's got a reasonable reputation for a young man, um, having made his debut. Newcastle a few seasons ago. I think he's had some injury problems. Hoping to see how he'll get on. I don't think we saw necessarily the best of him. I'm not couple of sort of ball-winning defensive midfielders against Ross County at home felt like a little bit of overkill. So maybe he might, you know, if he gets a game on his own, uh, maybe not with Brown there, for example, he might have a bit more space, see a bit more by him. Um, and then the rest of it, you know, was kind of what we've come to expect. Some of the guys are working away uh, and they're trying, you know, Ramirez. And then inevitably we make a mistake in defence and we concede. Yeah, I was uh, when you when you invited me on the podcast. I was thinking, oh, this is this is great. You know, two we'll get two two victories under a belt. I'll be able to come on um, rave about the dons. It'll be so positive. Um, so I was a bit. I was peeved off um, at the final whistle yesterday. Just as well, wasn't it? We, we didn't record this last night because I think you would have got a different different viewpoint on it. But I suppose starting with the positives, um, Samuel's was was good. As you say, Grim, um, very direct, very positive. I think there's, there's more to come from him. Um, it was just a pity he missed that chance in the first half with the, the header. Um, that would have been a, a great start for him, put icing on the cake of his performance. But no, I thought he was he was really good. Longstaff was was okay in spells, I think. Difficult for him, you know, he only joined a couple of days before the game, day before the game maybe, so um, still getting to know people. But in the kind of, you know, cameo, Bits and pieces that he did, he looked he looked fairly good. He had a few um, kind of raking passes and, and things that, that looked fairly decent. He's got he's got a wee bit of pedigree there, so I'm sure he's going to look a player um, once he once he settles in. Um, but Calvin Ramsey again was it's almost getting to the point where you're kind of you know expecting him to be brilliant every week. He was you know probably the best attacking outlet which I'm not sure he should be at right back but um, he was really positive every time he got the ball defensively it seems to be coming on a bit as well but he's you know, shades are kind of Ryan Fraser when he when he broke through you kind of look at him and think he's not going to be here for long <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so enjoy him while you can type of thing um, so those, those were the positives but it was a frustrating day. I think I was thinking about it last night afterwards. I think it might be a frustrating season all, all in. I think we've got a lot of the kind of components there for a really good team, but uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't seem as though it's gelled yet. It doesn't really seem as though Glass is, is getting out what he, what he wants. Um, I hope we're not, you know, sitting here in May next year, you know, kind of saying the same thing that it's, you know, it's not quite, quite there. Um, but it still needs a bit of work. I think Glass said that himself after the game yesterday at international breaks came at a good point and he's he's looking forward to to working, you know, a bit more with him on the on the training pitch. But 
Uh, it was a wee, just a wee bit disjointed yesterday. You know, it was like good players on the pitch and, you know, we, we, we kind of looked good in spells, but it was just that's kind of something missing, something in the final third that just wasn't, wasn't clicking. I mean, for me as well, I, I felt it looked a tired kind of performance um, all around. I thought that there were spells where we looked good. I thought that Samuels in, in particular looked, at, looked a threat. But apart from that, I just felt it looked tired. I just felt like... We got frustrated very easily, I felt, by Ross County. I think Ross County came and did a number on us. As much as I detest their manager, I feel that he certainly got them well-organised, well-drilled. They kind of knew what they were doing. They sat in pretty deep against us, sprung on the break pretty effectively. They, they created a couple of good chances on the break. Obviously, that's how they get. They should be 1-0 up <clears throat> um, already. Anyway, there's this, the slack pass between Long, Longstaff and Brown, and, and Joe Lewis bails us out on it. And then the second goal, uh, sorry, the first goal for Ross County is... is is a, is a good break again. The ball eventually finds its way into Reagan Charles Cook and he slots it home from eight yards. Not really much that, that, that Joe Lewis can do about that. It's, it's a disappointing game. It's a frustrating game because I think if you go back and you look at the statistics and, you know, you don't want to get all Abby Scovedale about it, but, you know, we dominated, I think, every stat imaginable in that game, but just simply couldn't convert them into even clear-cut chances. It wasn't even just we couldn't convert them into goals. There was very few clear-cut opportunities that I felt that we missed. Yeah, other than, like Mark mentioned, Samuel Sedder, you know, nil-nil, there's nothing I can say other than they should have been scoring there. Absolutely. And then they, that that does change things. Obviously, you've got a decent crowd. You get a goal up. And things are bound to be different. You missed that. I think Ojo had good ball across the face of goal. Again, at nil-nil, no takers. I think there were a couple of balls across the, the face of the goal. And it's a little bit frustrating given that we actually had you know, a relative attacking setup with a couple of guys up front. We never got an end of them. A couple of corners, you know, there was an element of it. It wasn't quite our day. We did create chances and set pieces we weren't too bad at, but corners blocked, shots blocked, you know, a couple of stromashes. Uh, you're right, probably other than Samuel's header, we didn't really cut them open uh, until the end when Hayes should have scored. But fortunately, the keeper fumbled it um, and Ramirez was able to put it home. So it kind of sums up to an extent the last few games. We've looked good in spells. It's a different style that we're getting and probably a style that most people were looking for. I think we'd all grown a bit fed up with what we'd had over the last couple of seasons, but I can't really recall many instances over the last games where we've just uh, opened the team up and, you know, either scored a well-worked goal or keeper saved it, whatever. We tend to look good and then huff and puff. And then I keep going on about it, making a mistake and we concede. Yeah, I think, I mean, overall, I was frustrated at the end just as I said, but I, I still came away thinking that, you know, there's enough positives there to to think that was, you know, we've we've got something to work on for the, for the rest of the season. We did get the ball down this, you know, down the sides fairly well. I was for me, I was quite a few crosses kind of flashed across goal and and nobody in the end of them. That's something that you know we were even struggling just to do that last season. You know, we weren't getting that kind of forward progression at all. It was just getting side to side, you know, thirty yards from goal, and then we would turn it back and. Um, at least we were actually getting beyond their defenders at point just think, and getting the ball in the box. So hopefully, <clears throat> you know, a bit of time on the training pitch, those balls across the box, you, you know, the, the, the guys that are crossing in know where the strikers are got to be a bit better. And, you know, the, on another day, I, could, I, I think it could have been, you know, three or four of us if we if converted the, the chances in, in some of the good play that we had. So, I'm, you know, I'm certainly in the, in the depths of despair about it. I think there's, there's a lot to, to, to be positive about. Okay, I point out home to Ross County's, you know, never, never what you're looking for. But 
we're unbeaten in four. You know, we're still reasonably kind of positioned um, for for after the break. So yeah, frustrating day. But um, we've how many times we've been at Petardi in the past and, and had those days where it just feels like you know the ball never going. So you know, the good thing was that we persevered. We got the goal at least. Um, we got the point and, and kind of kept a wee bit of momentum going. Yeah, I think the fact it's, it's a bit annoying when it looks like chances go, you know, a miss and balls across the box. But that's a good point, actually. Even that progress, uh, you would hope over time they will start to be converted. And the fact that you, we are getting these opportunities yeah, is much, much improved on that rank spell where we weren't, you know, it's not like we, we weren't uh, scoring, we weren't even missing opportunities to score, there was nothing. So there was a lot to like. Um, and I, yeah, hopefully a few weeks on the, the training pitch, get the new guys really up to speed. We come back uh, after the international break and just build on what we've seen to date. Yeah, I think I'd completely agree with a lot of that. And, and we're going to touch on later on, <clears throat> you know, where we think we are and, and think we'll have a bit of a deeper dive in the new boys that have joined um, more recently, just last week, and then obviously from from early in the transfer window. I guess the biggest frustration out of yesterday is that we lose, we drop points on on Hearts and Hibs. Um, obviously, Hearts getting a victory at Dundee United and Hibs uh, beating Livingston, and also we missed an opportunity to stretch ourselves further away from Celtic in the league as well. Obviously, they were beating at, um, at Ibrox, so missed opportunity from from that perspective. It's early days, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, throwing away points again, you would expect at the end of the season to be probably competing with, well, I was going to say Hibs more than Hearts, maybe not, maybe both of them. So they've already got a bit of a head start on you, which is going to be difficult to claw back unless Glass can get us going and we actually you know, start getting results against our rivals rather than maybe the last couple of seasons where we beat everyone else and then we come unstuck when we play a Hearts or a Hibs. We're going to have to go in at these games and, and get three points. So it makes life a little bit tricky, but there's... Hopefully, there are plenty of league games left and hopefully a couple of weeks to work on a few things. We come out and be, we get going. So, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that way. I was just focused on, well, we've lost two points, but you're right, we've lost a bit of ground on some teams that it's going to be difficult to get that back. Agreed. So, let's move on. Let's look at the Fantasy Football League um, for this week. Always good to have a, a weekly update on this one. So, leading the charge, I think this is my two favourite names, I think, in the whole of the whole setup. Gold, Frankincense and Gurr. <laughs> Beautiful stuff. Uh, 296 points. Stephen Brown leading the top of the table. I miss Kabamba. I still have no idea what this reference is about. Keir Miller, if you want to drop us a line to let us know just to put us out of our misery, that'd be great. And the Aberdream team, uh, Craig Smith in third spot with 290 points. Martin, shocker of a week for you, mate. You were, <sighs> in, the, you were in the top three last week with Zonal Marxism, which is, I'm not, I'm not just saying it because you're on, I, I said it last week. Probably my favourite team name, I think, in the in in the in the tournament this week. But that was sixteenth place, mate. I was uh, I was hoping you were going to just skirt over this topic. To be honest with you, I had an absolute shocker this week. Um, aye, I, not not just in the Scottish, uh, you know, fancy football, but in the English one as well. And with the Dons only drawing yesterday, it was just a terrible football weekend. I just I was so annoyed last night. Um, but yeah, aye, it wasn't it wasn't a great. Too many. Too, too much eggs in the in the Celtic basket. I think um, I thought they might. I thought they might turn over Rangers. They obviously didn't. They? Um, so yeah, I might have to might have to be looking at the wild card for for once we come back after the after the international break. I think to, to freshen things up. I, I think at one point I was like ninety fifth in the whole in the whole thing. So I've I've totally plummeted plummeted this week. So aye, let's let's uh, move on from that. That's what happens when you select players from them. Like that's all I'm going to say about that. 
Um, I know, I know. I, I felt I felt dirty for it, but you know, <laughs> needs must. <laughs> a, a decent week for myself, actually. Seventy-one points. It turns out I've moved right up the table up to eighty-second. Now, Graham, I'm having to scroll and scroll and scroll. Yeah, but I start <laughs> with I'm not in the two hundreds anymore. Oh, you not? No, no. I got. Uh, I think I had like sixty-two points or something like that. I had a reasonable return. Because, nah, but you're another of the you're another of the, of the uh, purists, though. You you don't select anyone from them either. So, and to be fair, it doesn't really matter who I select. Sixty-three points, hundred and seventy-six. Wow, there we go. There we go. Out the comeback is on. Out of two hundred forty-seven, you're doing all right. Well, let's let's have a look right at the bottom and see who's having an absolute howler down here. Let's see. Let me go. Tani Uchechi Skill School, fifty-five <laughs> points. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually had not a bad week as well it's actually not that bad but mate oh dear me 55 points there we go that was with a wild card though he played the wild card this week and still only got 55 points so pretty poor <laughs> anyway I, th- I think you're able to still join the league if you want to we're on the main landing page uh, find us there or go through our Twitter history and you'll find the codes and all that kind of good stuff so yeah looking at some other news out of pathology since last week so obviously the main news outside of the football itself was the acquisitions of Marley Watkins Matty Longstaff Austin Samuels and David Bates now we're going to cover our views of these new players after the break but just for my own interest more than anything else was anyone else as surprised as I was to see these names being linked with us and some of them signed ahead of the Carabag tie and, and the reason I'm saying that is because obviously after the trip to Tynecastle last week Stephen Glass made quite a big deal after the game kind of stating that any incoming signings would kind of be dictated by the Carabag tie. Um, But then we kind of swiftly moved to get Watkins and Samuels in before the tie itself. And the rumor mill was already doing the rounds about Longstaff and Bates before kickoff as well. So I guess the question for me is if if the funds were there, irrespective of the Carabag tie, why potentially wait so long to make the moves? Obviously, Bates has been available for pretty much the entire window. And you'd imagine that Samuels especially was probably the same. You're also assuming that these players were willing and ready to come to Aberdeen and start the window. Just because we were in a position to do something doesn't mean they, you know, they might have been biding their time or, you know, something fell through or they decided this was the best option. So I think it's a good point because you would much rather have had these guys a couple of weeks ago if it would, you know, if we could have got them. Uh, I was a bit surprised around David Bates. Uh, I don't, I mean, that seemed to appear kind of later on, but looks like a decent bit of business. Watkins, well, you know what you're going to get. He was fine enough the first time round. I think Samuels is too early in his career to sort of look back at a track record. But based on Sunday, um, there's some optimism there. And I guess people know about Longstaff. Um, hopefully he'll be quite good. So I think you're absolutely right, though, because I'm, I'm absolutely certain Glass's words were Thursday will dictate the finances and the signings. So something doesn't quite line up there, given that they appeared before. Yeah, I'm not... Not entirely sure uh, about the timing wise, but yeah, it probably comes back to what I said earlier on about players, you know, players holding out more than anything. I think ideally we would have liked to get them in but before now, but um, yeah, I guess they're probably keeping their options open. Bates, Bates is a strange one because I think he was pretty much, he was desperate to get away from, from Hamburg, but I know Hearts, Hearts were in for him as well um, at one point. So, you know, he may, he may have just been weighing up, weighing up his options there, but you know, on as you say, we'll touch on them a wee bit later on. But just in general, I think four on the face of it, four good signings. Um, Samuel's a bit on unknown quantity, but he certainly showed up well on uh, on Sunday. Um, Bates is to me an upgrade on on what we've got, um, especially with Considine um, being out for 
for a while. Um, Longstaff's got got good pedigree, as I say, and Watkins, I think, is a, a no-brainer. You know, he was good here last time before his injury. I think he did relatively well on loan uh, at Cardiff as well. Um, he had a short spell with him um, for a few games, um, and they decided not to, to offer him an extended contract. So, um, no, nah, I mean, if you'd, if you'd offered those four... Um, at, you know, at the start of the window, you, you'd have snapped your hand off for him. So I think it just needs a, a wee bit of time for him to, to bed in, to gel. And I think, you know, potentially all four of them are, are starters going going forward and, and they improve the, the starting 11 for, for me. So, yeah, good good bits of business. Yeah, and I guess in, in other news, uh, the Aberdeen women's team, they suffered their first defeat of the season, a, a 5-2 reverse against uh, them in their final group stage tie of the SWPL Cup. Jessica Broderick and Chloe Gover on the score sheet for the Dons, who, of course, had already qualified for the next round where they're now going to meet Hibs. That was drawn earlier today. And uh, Emma Hunter's Chargers, I think, will have taken a lot out of that game despite the defeat. Um, obviously, Rangers are a, a fully professional club. Uh, Aberdeen aren't. And, and Emma touched on it last week um, in her episode. I'd encourage anyone who's got an interest in what the, what the women's team are up to to check that episode back out again. But... You know, obviously, I'd also encourage as many people as possible to get themselves down to, I presume it's going to be the Balmoral Stadium. I don't think it's been made official yet, but um, to, to cheer the women on in their opening SWPL one league fixture against Celtic this coming weekend. Obviously, there's no uh, men's team fixture, so there's no excuse for people who can make themselves available to that. So get yourself down, give the give the girls a cheer. Hopefully they can, uh, hopefully they can impress on the return to the top flight this season. And I guess just a, a, a quiet week on the lone watch front this week. Tyler Mikaita was the only of the lone players who made a start this week for, for Martin, but they were thumped 5-1 by Bucky Thistle. Um, Kevin Hanratty still missing out for, for, for Martin in that match. Connor Barron missed this week's uh, game for Kelty Hearts as well, as did Mark Gallagher for Forfer. Uh, the only other loanee who, who made any sort of minutes was uh, Luke Turner, who moved to Cliftonville in the Northern Ireland Football League Premiership last week. He came off the bench for Cliftonville in their 2-1 victory over Carrick Rangers in the opening league game there. So we're going to take a short break. Join us after the break as Martin, Graham and I take a look over the first phase of the 21-22 season and we give our thoughts about where we think we are and how we're shaping up for the rest of the season. So to play us out for the first half, here's Broad Sea with their track, Recover. Check out and follow Broad Seed's brand of Riffy Altrock on Twitter at Broad Sea underscore.
week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Delta 7 Creative. Based right here in Aberdeen, the guys at Delta 7 have one aim, to produce unique pieces of artwork in collaboration with a local supply chain steeped in quality. Got an upcoming project or piece of design work you need looked at? Give the guys at Delta 7 Creative a shout at delta7design at gmail.com. Welcome back. It's fair to say it's been a pretty breathless opening seven weeks of the campaign. So the Dons have squeezed 11 games in 39 days during that period, which equates to a game every three and a half days. And that includes travel to Sweden, Iceland, Azerbaijan, Gorgi, West Lothian and deepest, darkest Kirkcaldy in this period. And we finished up that period with a record of five wins, two draws and four defeats. And it's probably fair to say that the international break comes at the ideal time now for the manager and the squad. As the manager said after the game on Sunday, with that schedule, getting time on the training ground since late July has been pretty much impossible. And that's even heightened when you factor in the travel associated playing with Europe. So with the break upon us, it seems like a good time to us to cast our eyes back over that initial phase to see where we think we are and, and where we think our aspirations for the remainder of the season ahead are. And it feels even more apt, I think, to move to this segment after, I don't know, some of the reactions online in the last couple of days, especially after the Ross County draw, where, you know, from my taste, frankly, there was a lot of bedwetting going on in the world of Don's Twitter. Where are you guys at? Overall, I'm still fairly optimistic. A couple of stinkers in there. I mean, Wraith was poor. I don't, there's not any way... Any other way, you can cut that. Going out of Europe was disappointing, but it was, as we discussed, probably all in agreement that um, Caravaggio better of the two legs. So it's maybe not much you could have done with that. So, yeah, overall, I, I'm optimistic. Uh, personally, I'd grown fed up with what we were getting served up before. So, this is something different. I wanted something different. So, I feel like I have to stick with it. And I've seen enough in glimpses that I think it will be quite entertaining once we get up and running. I don't really feel like we've really got going, but now that we've got uh, some extra signings, the manager's got a couple of weeks with them. I am optimistic that uh, the remainder of the season is actually going to be okay. Yeah, for me, the, the season's been... It's just been so good to have football back and being back in the stadiums and having so many games coming thick and fast. It's been, you know, I've, I've loved it. Um, some of the results obviously haven't been what, what, we, would, what we would have wanted, but... Um, you know, I was just saying today that the next when's the next game? Like two weeks away. Uh, you know, it seem, <laughs> seems like forever with, with the amount of games that we've had recently. You know, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with myself. Um, it's just been wall to wall football um, over the past while, and it's uh, yeah, I've I've really enjoyed it. But um, on the pitch, it's hard to it's hard to draw too many conclusions yet. It's you know we've been game after game. I think we've you know the, the squad's been stretched. Um, at points, we've had, you know, injuries at unfortunate times as well. So, you know, some of the games we've we've had to rotate. Some of the games we've looked a wee bit cobbled together. Even yesterday, you know, with the new signings in there, the, the team still looked unbalanced to me. You know, you had too many midfield, kind of semi-midfielders, Brown, Ferguson, Ojo and Longstaff all kind of trying to do the same thing. 
Um, so that's going to take a wee while to, to settle down, I think, and for him to actually figure out what our best formation is, what our best team is, and get all the bits in the right places, if you like. Um, I think we're still a work in progress. For me, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we get to the end of the season, we've finished fourth, we've now won a cup, and, you know, we're still saying we're a work in progress. But, but to be fair, you know, I wanted the last manager out, as Graham said, and I kind of was willing to buy into a longer-term project of, you know, a season, two seasons, and a few transfer windows before Glass gets the team that he wants, you know. So, um I know, no bed wetting or pant pushing or whatever. As far as I'm concerned, it's you know it's a work in progress. And as you said, some of the takes on Twitter have been just <laughs> just got a laugh at them. You know, saying that yesterday was as bad as any game I had last season. That's you know, I think some folk forget that we never scored for ten games and never looked like scoring for ten games either. So it's yeah, that's that's crazy talk. It's you know, we're we're getting there, our signs of progress, and I'm I'm definitely willing to, to give it a lot longer than four league games before I start, you know, crucifying MD for for anything. I think if anyone wants to try and pretend that yesterday was as bad as anything that happened last season, I would direct them in the I would point them in the direction, sorry, of Ross County four, Aberdeen one. <laughs> yeah. Um and we even scored in that game for fuck's sake, you know. <laughs> In terms of style of play, I mean, I think that so the three of us um, on here and, and, and Gavin, usually one of the hosts as well, we, we were all obviously in a place where we felt that the last <clears throat> manager had run his course. It's fair to say it was time for a change. And I think we were all encouraged and enthused by this idea of the club promising to play a kind of attack brand of football. Do you guys feel that you've at least started to see some signs of progress as far as that goes in the last uh, seven, eight weeks? I think so. But I think it's been a little bit difficult for him. As Martin mentioned, uh, injuries, you know, games coming thick and fast. So I think that will get better. But yeah, I think it's been it's been more enjoyable to watch. The results haven't necessarily come yet, but I have enjoyed watching the football more than I had been before. So I think we're heading... Whether it's the right direction, time will tell, but we're heading in a different direction and to me it looks quite encouraging. So I'm okay with what I've seen so far um, on the assumption that it's going to improve. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there's, there's definitely positive signs. Um, I think if we get the... Weirdly enough, you're talking about attacking football, but I think one of the biggest priorities is probably to sort of the defence. Um, project make McCrory a central defender, isn't he? Isn't he working as far as I'm concerned? Get Bates in there alongside Gallagher, get a solid base to build from, you know, stop conceding a goal every game. Um, and I think we'll start putting sides away, you know, if, if we stop going one nil down in a game and having to be frantically chasing it, if we can, you know, actually go ahead in the game, I think we'll start to, to take some sides apart. You know, I think we've got it in us. I think the, the one thing I, I noticed again yesterday, and I kind of mentioned it there, all the midfielders kind of try to do the same thing. To me, the thing that we're kind of lacking going forward at the moment is at number 10. Somebody to link up the mid, you know, take it from the midfield. Somebody to kind of play on a, a half turn, take a ball, be driving it at defence and, and linking up with, you know, Ramirez and the other kind of forward players. I'm not sure if that's what Hedges does when he comes back in, possibly. But if we get somebody to play in that role, Jenks possibly as well, you know, if he can get a wee bit of consistency, somebody in there to do that role. And I think we're, we're on to kind of giving some teams a good, a good tanking. I wonder if we're ever going to get the defence sorted out the way that we're trying to play. And I don't mean that in a kind of facetious way. That I mean that if, if we're trying to play 
in the style that Glass wants to play, which is obviously as well to try and get his fullbacks playing as high up the pitch as he can do. Teams are going to find it very, very easy to hit us on the counter in the in behind those areas there. And you're relying at that point on having settled defenders who are, A, quick enough to almost fill in those gaps and, and are able to kind of abandon station to an extent and clear the ball into touch or whatever, or that can read the game well enough that they can hopefully deal with those situations. But I kind of feel if we're going to play that way, we're almost invariably going to be open at the back. And we maybe have to get kind of used to that idea this season. Yeah, there's being open and then there's continual mistakes. I, I get, you're absolutely right. I think we mentioned a few months ago, I feel like collectively, myself included, we've become a bit risk averse because we're used to generally being quite defensive. And now when we do get cut open, you know, it's panic stations, this shouldn't be happening. I don't necessarily agree that you can't have a good defence and a good attack but you're probably right on balance. We maybe will be subject to, you know, conceding more chances than we used to before, but the balance isn't right at the moment. Uh, we're, we're conceding too many and we're not scoring enough. And I do think maybe some personnel changes, but it feels like he's got mostly his players now. So I think he does have to start getting that balance right. Because I, I don't really think there's the, the usual managerial play of, uh, it's not my squad, We've made signings and I assume he's pulling the strings or he's at least getting guided on what he wants. So I do think he has to sort it and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he will. Yeah, I think we can definitely tighten up defensively. I, I see what you're saying that, you know, if we're playing a kind of high press, high line, then we're always going to be susceptible to balls in behind and, you know, maybe maybe being, being hit there. I think there'll be a lot of games this season where, you know, we win 3-2 or you know, 4-3 or, or stupid score lines like that. I think that, that's just part and parcel of how we want to play. Not to put a cut amongst the pigeons, but question for you guys, is is Joe Lewis a keeper to to be playing that role for us? You know, do we do we need a keeper that's more capable of coming off the line and being a kind of sweeper keeper with the amount of balls that are maybe going to be played in behind and and, and beating, you know, slow central defenders? Can, can Lewis do that job or do we need to be looking at Woods or someone else? I think it's a really good question. I think you, I mean, Lewis nearly got caught in the Carabag game, actually. I think when it was 2 0, and he kind of half committed to come for one and didn't. And the boy nearly lobbed him. Um, in fairness to Lewis, he'd kind of put his brakes on quite quickly and, and realized he wasn't getting there and, and managed to gather it quite quickly. But it's it's a big question. It's, it's a, there's definitely a question mark. I think it's the first time, obviously, in, in Joe Lewis's time at Aberdeen where there are question marks about whether he's the right keeper for us. I mean, for me, the sample size we saw at Gary Woods last season is too small to really make a, a judgment about whether he's any cop or not. I think with the ball at his feet, he is absolutely a better option than Joe Lewis is. But I'm not entirely sure that's too difficult. I think my, my beagle might be um, up there as far as that goes as well. And that's no disrespect to Joe Lewis, but it's just not his, his strength. I think the worry as well this season is probably been that the stuff that you would normally rely on Joe Lewis to do well, coming and claiming cross balls, um, some shot stopping, has been kind of lacking a little bit as well. There's been more and more... I feel now in a game, there's a rip from Joe Lewis every game. Or I'm expecting one. And I didn't feel that way before. No, he's gone from feeling, yeah, pretty much bomb-proof. You know, it doesn't matter what the defence does in front of him. Lewis is probably going to bail us out to actually... Some of the panic is stemming from him, which is most unusual. Uh, I would agree. It's absolutely a valid question. I think we've probably thinking it when we've you know maybe watched the game or come out after. So I think Woods, you're right, we've not seen much of him, but he looked perfectly capable 
was doing a job and he does appear to be better with the ball at his feet, which he might need to be. So I do think that's a good point and that's maybe one to keep an eye on because I guess Glass did give him a run at the start. Now, whether he was just sizing him up or sending a message to Lewis, I'm not too sure. It would be interesting to see what he does about that, actually. I just felt when Woods came in last season, I thought with the ball at his feet, he looked good and he looked pretty comfortable with it. And I felt we looked a better a team playing out from the back with Woods there. But I felt he did concede a couple of goals that I would have probably bet Lewis would have stopped. Um, and I didn't feel as comfortable with balls coming out in the box as much as I usually would with Lewis. So again, it feels like you're kind of caught with kind of between a rock and a hard place with the two of them to an extent. And in a weird way, it reminds me a little bit when Brendan Rodgers went in Celtic and he took De Vries with him um, because he was adamant that Craig Gordon couldn't play with the ball at his feet. And okay, he took De Vries in and De Vries can play with the ball at his feet. That's fine, but he kind of keep the ball out of the net. And it's, I guess, try to have the lesser of, of those two evils. Um, it'll be an interesting one to see how, how that develops as the course of the season goes on. I, I wonder as well if actually we might see a tweak in system to maybe look at how we address the issues of people trying to exploit the space in behind our fullbacks. I can't see a way that we will not have space in behind fullbacks this season because we're going to play with them so high up the pitch as an attacking um, option. I wonder if the solution might be to move to a three at the back, which is where I think Declan Gallagher has performed well for Scotland in a, in a three. McCrory, I think the jury is still out about whether he can play in that centre-back area. He goes from the sublime to the ridiculous to an extent. I thought he was our best player on the park at Tynecastle um, a week past Sunday. thought he looked like he could really play in that role. And then Thursday night and yesterday, well, you're kind of not too sure about it all over again. And I guess it'll be interesting to see where the manager feels that David Bates comes into his reckoning as well. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm, I'm not averse to three at the back. I think it's it's got its, its benefits. It probably gets the best out of Ramsey. Um, you know, gets him further up the pitch and, and we can kind of utilise his attacking threat. I think the concern for me, and, you know, it's not a slight on Jack McKenzie because he's been, I think he's been really good this season. I've been really impressed with him defensively, especially, but if we're going to be relying on our fullbacks or wingbacks for um, our main attacking threat, I'm not sure that McKenzie's that guy. He's rock solid defensively, but going forward, he seems to be a bit a bit hesitant, if you like. There's a few games, I think the Livy game, okay, he scored, but there's uh, a good few times there where he kind of got to the halfway line and, and turned back on himself and didn't really look as though he wanted to take that aspect of the game on too much so I don't know if he's you know if we go that three at back whether McKenzie's the, the right choice for the um, the left-sided wing back but then I'm not sure who else we've got Hayes doesn't really do that for me um, Campbell possibly um, slotted, slotted in the left back on uh, at the weekend there he's got a wee bit of pace about him as well so he might be a, a longer term option there I still think McKenzie might end up being a centre half anyway. Um, long term, you know, he's 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 got a height, he's got the kind of defensive nous about him. So we might see him dropping back into a back three and uh, Campbell being the the left wing back. But yeah, it's 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 intriguing. I think what Glass is going to do. I think there's one thing for sure: he's going to stick to his principles. Um, you know, and his his philosophy. I think that's been clear from the club as well. You know, they've been very clear about how they want us to play. So. I kind of see him, um, you know, dropping that and reverting to long ball or, you know, attritional football or, or anything like that. It's, I think he's going to stick to the way he does things and, you know, the players will either have to adapt or he'll he'll ship them out. I think, you know, we've got another, we'll have another window in January. It'll be interesting to see if, uh, 
who goes in the next couple of days and then who who maybe comes and goes in January as well. I think that might be a, a fairly busy window for us as well. I mean, I guess then in terms of individual players, uh, the positives so far this season, I think the obvious one is, is Calvin Ramsey. Um, he's been exceptional. And Martin, you talked about it earlier on. You're starting to almost get Ryan Fraser vibes about him that we should be just, you know, be grateful for however long he ends up being here for. I think the good, the good thing is, unlike the Ryan Fraser situation, he did sign a new deal. I think back end of last season, didn't he? So he's, he is tied up on a decent long-term deal. So anyone that does want to come in for him is going to have to pay up some 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 serious money for him. Jack McKenzie as well, we touched on. He, he, I think he's coming in done 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 really well. Funzo King Ojo. What a transformation. Yeah, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching this season. Now, don't get me wrong, but there have been frustrations. So he'd missed some decent chances before he did finally score against Hearts. But I'm enjoying watching him. Uh, at the moment, I guess maybe the we just see how that season plays out. Just as Martin mentioned, there's quite a few midfielders kind of trying to do the same thing. So there's a little bit of feels like something has to give to maybe let some of them shine. If you know what I mean, they're kind of tripping over each other at the moment. Um, but so far, what a, yeah, what a turnaround! And if he can continue in this kind of form, so obviously he did get his goal. Uh, he missed a chance against Ross County, but it's a couple of times it's him fizzing a ball across the, the box, getting into these positions. If you can keep creating chances, I do believe eventually we will start putting them away and then we'll we'll all be saying, how did we almost lose this guy? Yeah, I was uh, joking joking earlier on about, um, you know, if that's a transformation that somebody has by sticking King in their name, then maybe we should be getting the whole squad to, to go for it. Because since he's... Uh, since he's uh, incorporated that, he's been he's been unbelievable. Um, I don't know where it's came from. You know, he came in as a, a defensive mid. He never really looked that convincing there for me. But was a bit kind of slow and ponderous. Went down to Wigan. Had a, a good loan spell there from what I understand. And then he's come back up the road and yeah, just, you know, kicked on. Transformation's been unbelievable. I do kind of, yeah, get the feeling he might be the one that's sacrificed longer term. You know, I think he's had a good impact in, in this first set of fixtures. But, uh, you know, with, with Watkins coming into things, Samuel's coming into things, you get a feeling, and, and Hedge is coming back as well, you get a feeling those guys could kind of dominate those those forward positions and Ojo might find himself out of things again. But, um, you know, even if he ends up being a, an option from the bench, he's, he looks like a, a good option. Um, was it Bredeblek home game? He came off the bench and yeah, right, yeah, um, kind of turned the game. So yeah, I mean, he's he, to, to have that option on the bench and somebody that's you know direct running and a bit of kind of a bit of trickery, which you would never have <laughs> associated with before. He, you know, he's, he's he's a good player to have in the squad now. So yeah, just just glad that he didn't decide to. I think he was talking about dropping out of football completely at one point over the summer. There wasn't he? So. Um, glad, glad that's not happened, and we're kind of we're kind of seeing the best of them. Ah, uh, definitely. I think uh, Ojo will be an interesting one. I think as the season continues, because certainly when you listen to Stephen Glass, I think even after the Hecken game when he first came, you know, where a lot of people were so surprised to see him even playing, you know, Glass was quite adamant that they were really impressed with how well Ojo was able. To, I think they even said he was probably the quickest in the squad to adapt to instructions and put them into practice from what they what they were being asked to do. So you wonder if he maybe becomes one of these kind of like trusted lieutenant type players who no matter what they ask him to do, he'll do a job in that position. And, and that's worth its weight in gold sometimes in a squad to to have that. But obviously this is an Aberdeen podcast, so that's not, not talk too much about positive stuff. Um, in terms of the negatives, you know, for the first 11 games on a, on a, on a personnel level, um, not, not necessarily looking at the wider picture, but 
I think for me, there's big concerns around the likes of some of the squad um, and some of the established squad. I, we'll touch on some of the new players um, shortly, but guys like Niall McGinn, I've been really disappointed in this season. Um, a guy who knows what it's about, got an extra year's contract out with us last season. I think we all knew he's going to be a squad player this year. He's not going to be in the first team, but you'd like to think a guy like him would be able to come in, you know, he knows what it's about and put in decent performances that mean that we can, that we can use the squad. But in his showings this season so far, I'm not too sure how much more of Naomi again I actually want to see. Previously, I would have said he's one of the few players that can create something out of nothing, whether that's for himself or for a teammate. But this season, we just seem to be carrying him. So, yeah, it feels like a bit of a shame to say that about now. Beginning to be a pretty good servant for the club, but I don't see a scenario other than injuries where he actually plays any sort of prominent role this season, to be honest. No, I'm uh, I'm always a bit cautious about criticising these uh, some of these guys that are sanctified uh, among the support, but, you know... Fuck it. Um, <laughs> to, to be honest, you know, Hayes and McGinn, for me, are they're, they're bit part players at, at best now, you know, and that'll be difficult to accept for some folk because they've been such big players for us in the past and, you know, it's never nice to see favourites coming to the end of their days, but for me, McGinn should, shouldn't have got the contact extension in the summer. You know, it was it was bizarre. You could tell his legs were were gone last season. Um, and I think that's been proven in his, in his wee cameos that he's had this year. He's, he's just, you know, he's done none when he's been on the pitch. He's, he's, he's not quite there yet, I don't think, um, you know, to be totally written off, but he's he's getting that way for me. Um, he's not a starter, that's for sure. I don't think he's got the, the, the influence to, to be a starter now. And even, you know, the, the sub-appearance that he's, he's had... I don't know what it is. He, he seems to still be able to get about reasonably well, but it's like his touch has deserted him. The ball just kind of seems to be bouncing off him and, you know, he doesn't really seem to be able to get it under control and affect the game in any kind of way. I think Hayes is interesting. And, and what you what you say there, Martin, is a really interesting point because, Graham, I spoke to you about this at the Carabag game. You look at the difference between Carabag and Johnny Hayes, and I'm not picking on Johnny Hayes when I do this, but Carabag were playing at pace, moving the ball around at pace, but it was clinical and it was incisive and it was it was good to watch you know Johnny Hayes was running around the pitch like like frantically and it was at pace but every time the ball got near him it was bouncing off him or it was you know slack passes here it was like he was too frantic like he was trying too hard and it was like just that difference in quality between these guys playing at pace but still being able to be composed be technically gifted on the ball compared to what Hayes was doing and that for me was almost the point where I was like I think he's done now with us as well. I, I'm not sure I see a significantly long career at Aberdeen in the way we want to play now with, for a guy like Johnny Hayes. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's the physical element that's deserted him. Martin's absolutely right. Composure just seems to be an alien concept, which is a real shame because there's a guy that I imagine the three of us, it's probably fair to say, have thoroughly enjoyed watching Johnny Hayes in his prime. But um, yeah, that's not the Johnny Hayes we've got anymore based on the, the season to date, but don't see how he's really going to turn that around. Yeah, yeah don't don't get me wrong either. You know, I don't think it's a lack of effort or, or anything like that. He's still, he's still putting a shift in and he still, you know, he still looks as though he wants to be there. But it's, yeah, it's just like his touch has deserted him. I don't, I don't know if it's an age thing or, you know, what it is or if it just, you know, happens to, to some players. But 
yeah, it's sad to say, but you, you don't feel like you can kind of rely on him these days. You know, like he's he's got even even on the, on on Sunday there. You know, he's clean through on goal, and you know a year ago you would have backed him just to slot it away, no no problem at all. You know, and he, he kind of fires it at the keeper, and we get a wee bit lucky with the the, the fumble from the keeper, but. Just, just little things. Maybe it's a, you know, it might be a confidence thing. Even it, you know, it, we might be writing them off too, too quickly. But yeah, or something, or something a wee bit amiss with him. Um, so yeah, hopefully he can, he can find it again, whatever it is. But for me at the moment, anyway, he's a, he's a sub. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think I have read various different reports that seem to indicate he's carrying basically a shed load of injuries. So that might explain some of it. Um, I think there's one thing you can say about John Hayes is he's not going to shy away from putting himself in for tackles or putting himself you know, out there to play for the team even if he's not 100% fit and you're right Martin it's not a lack of effort thing maybe it is an injury thing and hopefully a couple of weeks off now the international break will, will give them time to rest and recuperate from that I think we were all surprised to see him play in Carabag after leaving Kirkcaldy in a kind of protective boot and all that kind of stuff so hopefully fingers crossed we're writing him off maybe a little bit before his, his time here in terms of other areas of the of the squad, I think that there's definite question marks at the moment. I think, you know, Martin, you touched on it early on. Ross McCrory is a centre half alongside Declan Gallagher. I think a lot of people are probably feeling right now it's not really working for them. Yeah, no, I've I've said that a few times this season, and you know, I feel bad because I think you know he's a good player. He's got a good engine. He's you know again he's committed. He's it's not a lack of effort, but it just looks like an alien position to him. He just doesn't look as though he's got that kind of defensive instinct, especially when, as you said earlier on, our, our fullbacks are playing high up the pitch. So, you know, your centre-backs are isolated a lot of the time. Two, you, you know, you've got the two of them there, him and, him and Gallagher, and you need them to be kind of quite positive, you know. If the ball's there, go and attack it, go and win it. You know, don't let it be bouncing about in the area or that type of thing. But he just seems kind of hesitant and it's, it's probably just because he's not a natural centre half. You know, he doesn't have that instinct to to really go and, and get after the ball. I don't know if we've got the the luxury of time to to let him develop that. You know, um, there's got to be a point where the management say, yeah, it's it's probably not not working, and we get Bates, you know, Bates in there, get two natural centre halves, and then depending on what happens with Ferguson, you know, maybe McCrory moves in midfield again and and kind of you know. Gives us that energy in the in the middle of the pitch. To me, that's where he's, you know, that's where he was best when he when he first joined us. He's been shunting around right back, centre half. But to me, you know, he started off in that kind of midfield position for us, and he looked really good there. You know, he was he was winning the ball. He was winning the ball high up a pitch as well, which was kind of helping us start attacks. So I'd prefer to see him in there and and kind of get rid of this ridiculous experiment. <laughs> I would absolutely agree. I think he's. Feel like he's a little bit wasted in defence. I appreciate we've got plenty of midfielders, so I'm kind of hoping maybe he's filling in because of circumstances. I would much rather see him in what I think most people would agree is his natural position. I think he has a more positive influence on the game for Aberdeen if he's playing in that role rather than where he's currently playing. Let's take some time just to look at the new arrivals that have come at the club. I guess just starting from the top, Scott Brown, obviously divided opinion upon arrival, What's he done for you, Martin, since he's come in? Well, fair to say, I hated him at Celtic. Still, still, no, I'm only joking. I don't hate him anymore. Um, no, he's been he's been a revelation for me. I think past couple of games he's looked a wee bit tired. Um, to be fair, but that's that's to be expected for a you know 36 year old playing as much games as he as he has over the past wee while. But 
it's not. It's about a cliche to say that he's he's a character and he's he's all about you know um, leadership and, and what have you. But I'd, I'd, essentially, that's what he's bringing to the team. You know, a lot of the time he's he's not doing anything overly flashy or um, you know eye catching on the pitch, but he just seems to kind of bring a a drive. Um, he came on uh, down in Livingston and kind of turned the, the the tide of the game around. And um, aye, yeah, you can you can just see how he's how he's driving on other players. It's something we've missed for. For a long, long time, um, you know, I've seen folks you know since Shinny, but even Shinny wasn't that character for me. You know, Brown's in a in a class of his own when it when it comes to that. So, uh, yeah, um, really good signing for me. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure if we'll see him as much as we have done as the season goes on. He's, you know, he's going to need rest, but he's a he's a massive part of the the squad, and you know, even behind the scenes he's going to be a, a big a big part for us going forward as well so aye good good signing we probably don't need to talk about him too much I don't think Graham I think between you I Gavin we probably extolled all the virtues about what Scott Brown is bringing to the to the team um, I think Martin you're right I think we've probably seen him more than I think even Glass would have wanted him to have played in these yeah. games I think you look at Livingston away you look at Wraith games that I think the manager probably hoped he had enough on the pitch to to get us through those games without requiring to to bring the likes of Brown on, and he's had to do it, and it didn't work at Wraith. Uh, I think it did work at, at Livingston. I think he did drive them on, and I think for me, not just the performances on the pitch. I think it's what he adds in the dressing room and what he adds, certainly with the young players. I think is going to be invaluable for us uh, this season and going forward, just with his experience and his nous, and hopefully he can pass on some of that um, unbookability, Graham, as as you'd always want to. To have in there and I guess the other big arrival in the in the in the summer was probably Declan Gallagher um I say big arrival just because he's an international center half came in as a captain from Motherwell he's had a bit of a slow start I think it's probably fair to say um at his time at Pataudry yeah he's um I, I I was enthused about signing him um initially you know he's, a, he's an international center half at the end of the day he was I think really good at Motherwell um I always liked him when he was at Livingston as well uh, but yeah, it's been difficult for him. Um, he's had various partners alongside him, McCrory, Considine, he's been in a two, he's been in a three. Um, I think it'll be good for him to get a you know a steady partner there and, and develop a bit of an understanding with somebody. I think a question mark remains about whether he's got the kind of ball playing ability that we might be looking for from our centre halves. Um, I don't think that's really part of his game, but um, no, I think I think he'll come good. I think we're not seeing you know the best of him at the moment, but it's uh, it's early days yet, and I, I don't think he's been been helped by by circumstances up to now. But um, defensively, you know, I think he's he's sound enough. I think he just needs to, as I said, maybe you know get get others around about him that he can trust and um, just calm it down a wee bit. I think you know it's it's looking a wee bit kind of frantic from him at times. Um, so no, I think. Um, he will be a good signing. We just uh, we just need to give him a, a wee bit of time to bed in. Players, you know, players all take different times. I remember when we signed Johnny Hayes, uh, first six months of Johnny Hayes, you know, I, I thought, well, who's this guy? You know, he doesn't look like the player that was at Cali Thistle at all. And look how he turned out. So, now nah, you need you need to give him you need to give him a bit of time to to bed in properly. Yeah, I think that's absolutely agree with that. It does sometimes feel like he's the weak link when we're trying to maybe play out or you know pick a pass, but. I'm hoping he'll have time to adapt. And you mentioned maybe a bit of stability in terms of whether it's a fixed system or just a fixed partnership and he gets used to someone and they'll figure out 
you know, who's going to sit back, who's going to attack the ball, that kind of thing. Um, he's got the international experience. He's by no means a bad player. So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping he will uh, he'll adapt to what we're trying to do. I'm deeply intrigued with the Declan Gallagher signing purely because, Martin, you hit on it. He's not a ball-playing centre-half. He never has been. He's he's never shown any kind of um, you know experience of, of being that type of player. For me, he's a penalty box defender, like an old fashioned penalty box defender. That's what he does his best work. And I'm intrigued with it just because I actually wonder how much of a Stephen Glass signing Declan Gallagher was is because he doesn't seem to me to be the type of player you would go and get to fit the style of football we're trying to play. No, I would agree with that. Um, it, it did cross my mind as well um, about who actually signed them um, and uh, you know how the kind of <laughs> the overlaps happened with, with McInnes and Glass um, so yeah uh, that, is, that is a concern about his ball playing ability but I think he's got enough about him you know defensively to 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 get him through those types of situations and I don't know much about Bates to be honest I, I remember him kind of briefly when he was at Rangers and I think he had a bit more of a reputation for playing out from the back so um, you know, if, if he can do that aspect and just let Gallagher kind of concentrate on, on defending first and foremost, then you still need that. You know, you still need somebody that's going to head and, and kick everything and, and uh, you know, do the do the proper defensive side of things. So I think he'll be fine overall. I, I wonder if that's maybe why we do end up shifting to a three long term is to accommodate Gallagher being that ball winning penalty box defender type. But like I say, it's what he does for Scotland and he's done it pretty well for Scotland. So I wonder if that's maybe the long-term aspiration. But moving on, Teddy Jenks. He's come in from Brighton, under 23, captain for them. He's come in and I can't make my mind up about Teddy Jenks. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I think the only game I can think of is probably the second half at Tynecastle. Um, admittedly, the whole team kind of stepped up, but he, he was good then. Other than that, he's he's not offensive. He's, he's not done anything that I think, oh, this guy's way out of his depth. But on the other hand, he's not really done anything that makes me think he's improvement. So he's just kind of a bit in no man's land, to be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, when we signed him, it was I was comparisons with you know the James Madison signing. Um, this was a guy that was you know on the verges of first team Premiership football, and you know really well thought of attacking midfielder. He doesn't look like that yet. You know, you could tell straight away with Madison that he was a he was a cut above. You know, he was he was sad to say he was too good for us. You know, a lot of the passes and the stuff he was doing, the players just weren't on the on the same wavelength either. Jenks doesn't; he's not had that immediate, you know, effect to me. He still looks like a you know an underage player that's still trying to kind of find his way in the in the senior game a wee bit. Um, second half at Tynecastle, I was you know was raving about him. He, he, that kind of high press, the energy he had, he was he was pressing from the front. He looked good when he had the ball. So it's yeah, it's maybe just you know him trying to get get a bit of consistency in his game and and get an extended run in the team. Even you know he's been in and out, so I, I suppose it's hard to 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 make an impact um, when that's the case sometimes. But I, as I said earlier, we're, we're we're definitely lacking somebody in that position in that in that ten. Um, it's it was it was blatant yesterday. You know the amount of times that we had the ball in the middle of the park, there was just there was nobody there. You know everything was coming down the sides. Um, so you know, as a as a space there for him, you know, he's got an opportunity, especially with Hedges being out injured at the moment. So I'm I'm kind of I'm rooting for him. You know, I think he's probably got the the tools. Um, scored a good goal at Livy as well. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping for more from him. Though you know, I think as as a player there, but we we need to we need to get him in the team and, and see it a bit more. 
bit more consistently. Speaking about a number 10 or a potential number 10 and a guy who is going to divide opinion all season long, Jet. I, I can't, again, I, I, I struggle on a weekly basis to come up with the words to describe J. Emmanuel Thomas. Um, looking at yesterday's performance when he came off the bench, I thought he did actually quite well when he came on. Um, slipped in a couple of decent passes, created, in fact, I think, the goal, didn't he? Um, it was his yeah. It was his play in the middle of the park and slipped it through to Hayes. It's maybe the number 10 area, somewhere that Jet, we should be thinking about. It's a guy who can get the ball down, he can... You know he can he can move the ball around. He can beat a player here and there. He can pick a pass. We've seen that on a number of occasions now. Is is that maybe where he belongs? I think in uh, in home games like yesterday, then then hundred percent, yeah. Um, it was it was his pass that set up the goal yesterday. Great great through ball for for Hayes. Um, and you look at the squad, and there's not many players can make that type of pass. You know, take take a ball in and, and have the vision to, to actually execute that. So um, yeah, I think he's he's got the ability. I think in home games where we're playing against a packed defence, the opposition are playing deep, then he's ideal. I think we've seen in uh, the Bread of Like Away game and some of the other games this season where he's tried to play that um, you know role, but against a team that's kind of pressing higher up the pitch and he's having to do a bit more running and closing down, he's he's not that he's not that player, you know. He's he's uh, I don't know if work rate is is a right thing, but he's he's not he's not mobile enough to to do that role, you know. So it's it's horses for courses. I think he can he can do it in, in, in some of the games, but like you know, in an away game against the Rangers or Celtic, he would be like playing with a man down. You need you need maybe a Jenks or, or somebody else to to play that role. But he's uh, he's going to be he's going to be entertainment this season. He's he's an absolute enigma. I think is the right word for him. Well, that's what we said, isn't it? The E and Jet stands for enigma. <laughs> yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah, he he has his moments where you think, yes, this guy's a player, and then he has his moments where you think, why did we get him? Uh, <laughs> he's he's kind of starting. The the work rate thing is absolutely valid. Um, I think my biggest frustration actually hasn't been a work rate or a perceived lack of. It's the fact that in some games, for a guy with that much ability and the physique the ball just doesn't stick with him. And that's what's most frustrating. Whereas, you know, Tyne Castle was the complete opposite anytime it came to him. It stuck. And whether it was just a simple pass back or he was able to use his skill and his vision and set us off. Um, I think games like that probably make me think, yeah, there's a player in there, let's persevere. But I think you're absolutely right. He's going to, he's probably going to be the only, or the most divisive player over the course of the season. I'm pretty sure if we could some sort of method of collating everyone's comments, it's probably him that's going to annoy people more than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're, if we're being honest, a guy with his ability, if he was doing it, you know, if he was able to do it consistently week in, week out, he would be playing at a higher level than than us, you know. Um, I think that's just, his career. His whole career has been been that story, really. Managers trying to get the best out of him and, and maybe, maybe struggling. So if Glass can, you know, get... 70, 75% of the games him, him on, on good form he's, he's doing well and he's a he's a massive asset to us so yeah it'll, it'll depend on, on on if you can get a tune out of him or not another big acquisition I guess in the, in the transfer window Christian Ramirez coming in from Major League Soccer a lot of question marks when he arrived around whether he could cut it in the SPFL whether or not he'd be kind of ready to play in that sort of environment for me I think Christian Ramirez has done alright since he's come in uh, obviously got off to a flyer Goal against Hecken, goal in his league debut against Dundee United. It's maybe quieting down a little bit for him since. I know that Gavin 
who who obviously uh, usually is on the show with us, has voiced some uh, displeasure, shall I say, to you and I, Graham, about Ramirez's form in recent weeks. But I kind of feel like I feel a little bit sorry for Ramirez in the last few weeks. I, I don't feel like he's had any sort of service to to work with. I, I can't think of very many opportunities in the last three or four weeks where I feel that like the balls come into him you know, a, a decent pass into him at feet and he's not controlled it or he's given the ball away or anything like that. In terms of like chances, I don't think he's had any to miss in the last three or four weeks. He obviously gets the goal against Ross County yesterday. What are your guys' kind of thoughts on how uh, our new number nine is is, is faring? Uh, it's a tough one. <laughs> it's uh, it's hard to, 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 to sum up really. I, I remember when we first signed him, um, I've got a mate over in America and I kind of asked him for his thoughts on him. And he said, he just reading back the text messages here, he's, he's kind of old and couldn't really start for four MLS teams, which didn't really fill me with much much optimism at the time. But, I mean, initial initial you know thoughts on him were really positive. I think he's kind of struggling, uh, or, or we're struggling to figure out how to use him a wee bit. You know, he's, he's not really a target man. I'm not sure if he's a, an out-and-out finisher either. Um, I think the key probably to, to getting the best out of him is getting somebody closer to him. I don't want to go back to that number 10 thing again, but getting somebody playing around him. Um, even Watkins, you know, Watkins has kind of got, you, you can kind of buzz around and, and play off a, a striker. So he, I think in a lot of flashes, we've seen he's got decent vision as well. You know, he's, he can kind of link up playing not too bad. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll probably get the best out of him by, by getting somebody else around about him, feeding balls into him as well. And there's no reason why he can't be a, you know, a 20 goal a season striker if, if, if we get that. Like even, as we said earlier on, the number of balls coming across the box yesterday. If, if, the, if the midfielders can figure out, you know, where, where he likes him and, and how he, you know, how he, he times his runs into the box and what have you, then, then fine. But yeah, I mean, he's got the raw materials, I think, a, a bit of work and... He's, as I say, he's a 20-goal-a-season striker for us. But, yeah, it's been it's been up and down so far. I think your point around support or getting people close to him is really important. From what I've seen so far, you know, he looks like he'll be a decent enough finisher. He's not a bad player with the ball at his feet, but he's not particularly quick, and I wouldn't say he's particularly gifted. So I don't really see him creating much for himself. I think we, he's going to need that support. And Gary's probably right. The first couple of games... Maybe it was just the quality of the opposition or whatever it was. I felt like we were we were attacking better and he was getting that service and obviously he did get his goals and then you know things kind of dried up a little bit. So I think you're right. There's there's definitely goals there and the way we're it looks like we're going to play, chances will be created. But I think if we are hoping that he's going to do something or maybe hold the ball up for us, I don't really see him being that kind of player. If we can get a bit more support, I think we'll get uh, a bit more out of him because it does. I mean, I mean, we seem to be actively looking out for him. So you got to assume that Glass knows how to get the best out of him. You know, it's not like one of these guys has just kind of turned up at the last minute. He looks like he's been what to play in the first team. So I think we need to do a little bit better in terms of actually helping him out with that. Martin, you made a really good point there. Well, you made two really good points. First of all, he absolutely needs somebody else up in and around him. You saw it in the Hecken game that this is a guy who wants to have a strike partner of some sort alongside him that he can, you know, have little layoffs to and try and make the spin around behind and behind the defence, etc., and run onto balls. You saw it with how he linked up with Jet, in particular in the first few games of the season. But more importantly for me is I think actually just getting time on the training pitch now for the next couple of weeks for the, the team around us to work out actually how Ramirez likes to play. I lost count a number of times during the game yesterday that a ball got put into the box and Ramirez had always made a front post run 
he was consistently making front post runs and balls were getting, you know, pulled back to penalty spot or they were getting knocked over the back post. And it's like, guys, the, the guy's making that run every single day of the week. We need to start kind of working with that rather than just, it almost felt a bit aimless at, at points yesterday. And I, I kind of feel that once he gets, once this, the squad get a bit more used to him and once he gets a little bit more used to the squad as well and the way that certain players play, I think there's I think there's goals in there. I don't think we've got a huge amount of concern on Ramirez. The other one who arrived from the States, Jack Gurr. Meh. No, I think Asylum said it all there, did it? Um, I don't know. Is he another John Gallagher? Is he John Gallagher? <laughs> <laughs> they just keep rehashing John yeah, Gallagher and just, sending just, him back. Just a region. Um, ah, I don't know. He's got he's got a good bit of pace about him. He's got a decent bit of work rate, but you kind of get a feeling that our race game was maybe a wee bit of a a watershed moment. Um, whether we'll really see him much again for the next wee while. Uh, mistake for the it was a winner, wasn't it? When the guy um, nipped in and kind of stole the ball as he decided whether he was going to head it or kick it or just let the guy run and, and score. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think he's, he looks reasonable going forward, but he's I, I don't think he's likely to feature that much going forward unless something happens to, to Ramsey. Um, and even then, McCrory might, you know, could, could be an, a, another option at, at right back. So he's very much a, a squad filler to possibly, you know, do Atlanta a bit of a, favour again I think I echo that I think the Wraith Rovers match will probably I'm not going to say a bet on it because you never know what will happen but I'll be very surprised if we see Jack Gurr play another minute of football for Aberdeen Football Club this season that was one of the worst second half performances by a footballer with the exception of Jackie McNamara in the Queen of the South Cup semi-final and I hate to bring it up or the the Quali semi-final because my little that Jack Gurr performance was up there with the two of them for me. So I don't want to see him anywhere near the first team again. And I hate being like overly like personal about players, but fuck no, no. So last week ended with a bit of a whirlwind as well of, of signings. We, we brought Marley Watkins back in, uh, Austin Samuels, Matty Longstaff from Newcastle, which is a really interesting one. And, and David Bates makes the move from Hamburg. So four acquisitions appear within a couple of days with each other. We've, we spoke about earlier in the show that, you know, we'd like to have seen them come in and, a bit earlier, but I think all in all, we're all probably feeling pretty, pretty positive about those moves. I certainly am. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy with that. The the Samuels one uh, is quite interesting, as in I think we've got the option to buy. So I can't decide if that's shrewd, as in if he tears it up, you know, we, we can buy him and sell him, or if he tears it up and no one's interested, we, you know, we've already agreed a price. But that that made me think there was maybe a little bit more to this than just a loan deal. Uh, to fill a, a space, maybe it looks like there's a longer term view here and we might have had an eye on him because I don't recall as having really done that in the past with loan players, unless obviously the, the club said that we're loaning from, no, that's not an option. So quite excited to see how that works out because uh, that makes me think there's a bit more in it. Um, Bates, yeah, Billy Martin, I don't really remember him that much, but um, hopefully he's learnt in his time away, you know, maybe different culture, etc. Slightly different style playing the game. Longstaff, I would try not to get too hung up with just because he's come from the Premier League. That doesn't always mean you're getting a good player, but he did seem to have a decent reputation. Maybe he just lost his way a little bit with injuries, uh, etc. So hopefully he can actually start delivering because that's obviously in his interest as well. And then Watkins was pretty tidy first time round, so quite quite happy with that. He even just when he came on on Sunday, I thought he looked he looked quite good. So I think he'll do a pretty good job for us. 
Yeah, I would echo that on, on Watkins. I think I said earlier on, I, I liked him first spell. Um, you know, he's definitely the type of player that can play that kind of high press and, um, as I said, get potentially get a bit closer to Ramirez than some of the, the other players have, have managed. So I think he's a pretty astute sign-in. Bates, I mean, he's a Scotland... OK, I don't know how that counts for much, but he's a Scotland centre-half. Um, at the end of the day, I, he, he sounds like he had a torrid time at the end of his spell at Hamburg there. He's pretty much sleeping at the training ground, I think I read. Um, and, and they basically told him to go and find another club and he, you know, he wasn't required back at the club. So, um, yeah, so it sounds pretty grim for him. But, um, you, you know, I think he had a, a decent pedigree when he left Rangers. Um, they were disappointed to see him go. And I think I read something to say they were sniffing around him earlier on in the summer as well. Um, at one point, about, you know, potentially looking at taking him back. So I think he'll be good. Um, Samuels is... is could end up being the strangely one of the, the biggest signings um, if he keeps up the form that he he, he showed um, on uh, at the weekend there. Um, I don't know why, but when we, you know first the, the, the news came out about him and I looked at his Wikipedia as you do and seen the stats and thought, oh god, this is you know kind of reeks of a. I try to remember his name is it Monica or something you know something like <laughs> yeah. that. It's just you know we've taken a punt on it and he ends up being absolutely shite, but. You know, I think he showed enough in that one uh, one game um, that he's he's above that level. So, yeah, yeah, I think he's got great potential. Um, and and Longstaff, I think the, the the biggest thing you can say about him is that he had offers to go to the English Championship and he decided to come here instead, which you know tells its own story. He obviously seen something that he really uh, fancied up here, and obviously fancies himself to to come and make an impression. Signed a contract extension at Newcastle as he was kind of heading up here. So they are, you know, they've got long-term ambitions for him. Um, so he'll be wanting to come up here and, and have a really strong season and, and put himself in the in the picture for for down there. So um, uh, four, four top signings, if you ask me, you know, I, I don't know if we'll do anything else in the next couple of days before the end of the window, but if that's, you know, if that's a business for, for the summer, then I think overall we've done, we've done really, really well. I think, you know, for me, I think we're probably still light, I think, one centre-half. Uh, with Considine being out till till Christmas time, and then you just don't know how he's going to recover, I think we're still short of one in there anyway. I thought we were short of two before Considine was injured anyway, so I think that's an area we still definitely think about. The thing I'm really encouraged with, certainly in the attacking sense, I feel that we've at least now got different types of attacking players in the squad. So, you know, we've got Ramirez, we've seen what we think he can do. Jet is Jet and, you know, we've all got our opinions about that. Marley Watkins, we saw what he could do when he was here last season and I think, Martin, you're right, he's a kind of player who can play that high press. He can link in well with the other strikers. He's not an out-and-out goal scorer, Watkins, but we saw it last year what he can hopefully bring to the, to the table, especially when he starts into linking with Hedges again when he's fit. Hedges is an attacking player. We know what he brings to the table. Samuels was the missing link, I think, in terms of that out-and-out blistering pace. We've been really missing that uh, in this team. So I was delighted to see yesterday that that's absolutely something he can bring to the table. And it looks like he can take the ball with him as well, which is obviously a big help. Um, how many times have we seen players who are quick but can't actually do anything with the ball at their feet? So at least now we've got options. You know, you compare that to the January transfer window where we bring in Hornby, Camberry and Hendry. Was there any real distinguishing feature between any one of those three players? Well, not, not in a positive sense. No, but you know, no. they were all <laughs> they were all much for muchness, weren't they? You couldn't really say, well, that's an option off the bench. Or that's... It wasn't like a plan A and a plan B, was it? It yeah. was, 
just smacked the three guys that were available. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that for me is a big positive about the attacking moves we've made now. Longstaff, I suspect, has been brought in to be Lewis Ferguson's replacement. I can only presume we're expecting Ferguson to to move on in the next couple of days. I've been frantically checking while we've been doing this, looking at the Scotland uh, national team kind of social media feed to see if I can find any sort of images of Lewis Ferguson at Scotland training today. I can't see a thing. The same goes for Kevin Nisbet at Hibs. There's a lot of chat. He's on his way as well. So I wonder if that means something. But all in all, I think it's a pretty uh, a pretty positive last few days. And and lo and behold, who also turned up on Red TV yesterday afternoon? Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, we've got another central defender, and he's only a few weeks from being returning to training. So the lesser spotted Mikey Devlin <laughs> made an appearance um, in club tracksuit. So I can only presume he is actually under some sort of contract, or he's just nicking clothes at Cormac Park. Still no announcement from the club about what is actually happening with him. He's on the squad list, I've noticed. Gavin's not here, so this is fine. It means we can't have the you know Gav going off on one about Mikey Devlin. Martin, do you think that he is potentially an option for us this season? You'd like to think so, but it's it's a long way back from, you know, I think uh, he's had so many problems that um, I'd love him to get back there. I think he's possibly, you know, a ball sent, a ball playing kind of centre-half option for us. Um, I guess the club are in a bit of a difficult position in that they've given him that short-term contract and, you know, they're, they're willing to kind of give him a chance to, to get back to f- fitness. So can they really go and sign another centre-half that would would block his path? Um, I think they're probably going to give him, you know, up to January to, to see if he can work his way back in there. It's His time here has been so kind of riddled with injuries that it's it's hard to hard to imagine him being a, a regular starter for the first team. Um, similar to... Uh, Tommy Hoban, you know, when he was, he, he was, you, you always kind of had that fear with him that he was just on the verge of breaking down again. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for him. Um, I hope he can do it. Moving on, thoughts on how the manager's doing? 11 games in, obviously he had the tail end of last season, but I think it's probably fair just to kind of write that off to an extent. 11 games in, competitive football, obviously out of Europe now, out of the League Cup, but generally speaking, what's the, what's your thoughts and your impressions on how Stephen Glass is doing? He's doing a reasonable job. So far, I don't think it's any better than that. You pointed to Europe. I'm not going to hold against him, but uh, the League Cup that that's problematic in my opinion. That that was a you know that's just a poor result. So I think he's it's obviously going to take him time to get his ideas across, etc. He seems to carry himself quite well. Um, quite enjoy his interviews. I guess it's like all these guys though. He's still in the honeymoon period. I don't you know I know the atmosphere the last couple of games towards the end there were some frustrations, but by and large he's not experienced. A sticky spot yet, so things might change. Um, the only thing I will say is the last couple of games is a slightly different approach from him, as in normally he's been quite quick to pull the trigger on the subs or the tactical changes. The last couple of games, certainly from my point of view, like Sunday, watching it, thinking, you know, we're by no means out of the game, but it's not really working, kind of expected him to make some changes earlier on. Now, I don't know if that's him just trying to give the players a chance or if he's become a little bit cautious. I'm not, I'm not too sure, uh, but overall. Yeah, he's doing a decent job. I'm not entirely convinced that he got here the way the club says he got here, given it to the Atlanta piece. But if I park that, I'm not so sure he's, you know, who else out there is the usual uh, default thing. And to be fair, he's doing a reasonable job to date. So as it stands, I'm I'm happy enough, but I think there's definitely room for improvement. Yeah, I would say there's plenty of positive signs. Um, I actually think, you know, that willingness to, to change things at half time or, or during the game, whenever it is, is a really positive thing. I think in the you know past 
we've uh, and, and past managers we've we've been too passive and just kind of relied on you know the group of players that's on the pitch to go and change things and the manager maybe been reluctant to to change things too much until it's it's too late. So good to see that kind of proactiveness. Um, I seen a, a bit online um, about the hearts, a bit of analysis from a hearts fan about how um, Glass had gone about kind of affecting the game against them and how he'd combated the way Hearts were playing in the first half. And you know, it was I'm, I'm massive on my tactics, but it certainly you know sounded as though they've come up with a, a, a kind of effective way of combating what Hearts were doing and imposing us in the game. So that's you know that type of thing's really good. Um, I think there's a, a clear change in ethos, philosophy, whatever you want to call it, which is encouraging as well. But I would caveat all of that by saying, you know, we're out of Europe. We are out of the League Cup. So, you know, we really need to see some proper kind of you know, runs of form in the, in the league now. You know, we need that kind of six, seven, eight, whatever game winning streak to, to really kind of kickstart the season and, and you know, make something out of this league campaign um, I, I hate to think that we're going to go you know get, you know, a couple of wins and then a draw and a loss and kind of stumble through the, the season like that and then obviously the, the Scottish Cup now becomes massive for us as well not to be defeatist but probably the, the one realistic kind of chance of silver where we've got a season so you know that becomes huge as well so it's it's a big period I think coming up after the international break he, he said it himself he needs he needs that to, to go and fix a few things and implement his ideas so I think that needs to be evident, you know, in the first couple of games after the international break, that's really taken effect, and he, you know, we're we're kind of on the on the upward upward swing again after a, a couple of difficult weeks. I think I would just echo absolutely after the, the two of you have already said there. I think for me, the biggest encouragement has been, and we spoke about it in the in the show in previous episodes, has definitely been the ability of the manager to see, or his coaching team as well. It's not just the manager to see where things are not working and to try and figure out ways to change things on the pitch whether that's by tweaking system or by bringing, you know, wholesale changes. That's been a, a real, you know, positive as far as I'm concerned. Martin, you're absolutely right. For the last 10 seasons, probably longer than that, we all know if the, if the first 11 are fit, we know who that first 11 are going to be and what formation they're, they're setting themselves out in. And that'll be it until 80th minute. So that's a huge, huge positive. Negatives are absolutely there. You know, the, the exits from, from the League Cup and out of Europe. Europe, again, Graham, you're probably right. You can probably forgive him that one. The League Cup exit was was a real big blow in saying that I feel that the manager was entitled to believe he had enough in that team to go and win that game. And I think he's entitled to feel a bit let down by how some of the professionals, you know, handled themselves, um, certainly in that second half. But um, yeah, all in all, Graham, if you were giving the man marks out of 10 for his, for his first 11 games, where would you be looking at that? I would probably go, I would say about a six. I think I'm probably on record as saying, we should have been prioritising Europe over the League Cup. So I guess I'm being a little bit hypocritical, but, you know, that notwithstanding, we are out. So it's a decent start. Uh, I hope this can continue. And I hope when we come back, we, you know, we get a decent result and that just keeps the crowd on his side. And hopefully that allows us to build um, a bit of momentum. Martin? Oh, yeah, probably about a six as well, to be honest. Um, I think if we'd still been in the, the League Cup, then it would have probably been more like a seven. Um, you know, with the caveat that Karabag ended up being a much tougher game than, than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, we probably kind of got what we deserved out of that. But no, a solid six with, you know, plenty of scope for, for getting up to a seven or an eight <laughs> if, uh, if, if the changes that we think will happen do happen. Aspirations for the rest of the season, then what do we think? With obviously no League Cup or Europe, 
the league is obviously our prime focus now until January. Based on what you've seen so far from us against, you know, the likes of Hearts, etc., where are you expecting us to probably finish there or thereabouts? I know where I want us to finish, but the question was, where do I expect us to finish? Yeah. I think I think we will end up around about fourth or fifth. I think they're if the if the form to date continues as in we go through periods of scoring goals, but we're generally always conceding. I think that's just going to come back and bite us. So I think we will. I think we're going to hover around about fifth. To be honest, um, is where I think we'll end up. Yeah, I think a pattern that we've seen so far early in the season will probably, you know, keep going as it is. I expect Celtic to to get stronger. Rangers will come again. Unfortunately, they'll be fighting out for the top two spots, and us Hearts and Hibs will be battling out for. For a third, um, I think Hibs are Hibs are strong. Um, hearts probably less so. They seem to be kind of you know doing doing what Hearts do and you know bastarding themselves <laughs> through games at the moment. So um, whether they can continue doing that all season or not, I'm not sure. I think it'll be between us and Hibs for for third and fourth. I'd be a hypocrite if I you know was demanding third after saying I would take a transitional kind of season this season so you know fourth and a, a really strong run in the Scottish Cup with you know the caveat that we're going to build on that and, and come again stronger next season would be okay for me great stuff Martin thanks very much for joining us tonight we really appreciate it we appreciate getting uh, getting other well Kent faces in the Aberdeen stratosphere on to, to give us a chat so we really appreciate that well, thanks for having me on it's been it's been good um well, uh, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime and uh, do the suggestion of doing it as a drunk episode next time that we were batting about on Twitter last night. I think that would be fun as well. I like that idea. <laughs> we'll, we'll get the guys from Hot House back on again and um, get some get some samples kicking about and do that. Sounds like, a, <laughs> sounds like a belter to me. So that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow, and whatever else you might do on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week where we'll be joined by Doug Roberson from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution as we take a deep dive into the Aberdeen-Atlanta United link-up as we approach the two-year anniversary of the announcement of our tie-up with the MLS outfit. And we'll also take some time to preview our SPFL Premiership fixture away at Motherwell as the Dons get back to league duty. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Delta 7 Creative. Delta 7 is a proud, independent, Don-supporting creative studio based in Aberdeen. Check out their range of Dons-related products and much more at delta7design.bigcartel.com.